You're listening to the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Kill the Black Flame. Reading Hellboy comics and talking to our friends. Hellboy Book Club. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle. Thanks so much to our pal Matt Strackbean for his intro this week. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Send us your version of the intro. We're having so much fun listening to all your voices. Go over and check out Mignolaverse.com. They are counting down the days till Hellboy Day by focusing on a Mignolaverse character every day. They also have a great interview with Katie O'Brien, current editor at Dark Horse over the Hellboy book, so go check them out. We're actually doing a giveaway in collaboration with Mignolaverse.com. You could win Hellboy Volume 5 Library Edition, which contains Darkness Calls and The Wild Hunt. It's really easy to enter. All you have to do is subscribe to Mignolaverse on YouTube and leave a review for our podcast on iTunes. A winner will be selected randomly at the end of the month, and we'll send you a Hellboy Volume 5 Library Edition. Pretty good deal. That is a good deal. Um, am I eligible for this? No, concert? you can't. <laughs> you can't enter it, Aubrey. Sorry. Darn. I actually really enjoyed that interview with Katie that uh, they posted up the other day. So if you haven't read that, go check it out. Yeah, it was really good, and they name dropped our my fascination with the lobster with the scorpion face guy or whatever. And also remember that Mignolaverse is looking for more writers, so hit them up if you'd like to join the awesome team Kevin Alford has going on over there. Speaking of reviews, thanks to Stuart Dobson for recommending us on Facebook. Fantastic podcast for anyone who has a deep love of Mignola's work and world building. Really enjoyable. Keep it up. We got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbean. Hey, Matt Strackbean. In the most recent podcast, You Damn Guys touched on a thing I love most about Hellboy books as a collection of comics. In this one universe, we get a reboot-free, long-term, ongoing story told as a single concept across several titles by an eclectic group of writers and artists. Where else can you get that? Each title in this universe relates to the primary arc. Although creators may be allowed to use their own voices, so to speak, they never stray from what has already been done in earlier issues. It's more than simply adhering to the connectivity of it all. It's loyalty to the masterwork they are honored to be a part of. People want to write or draw Batman comics, but they almost always want to do their own thing too. When you work on Hellboy, you have to follow the rules to a degree. I love a lot of comics, but I have two favorite comic book series that to me handled their universes with total purity. Hellboy and David Lapton's Stray Bullets. Have you read Stray Bullets, Aubrey? Uh, no, but it's I am aware of it. I just It's kind of like one of those ones you're like, yes, I should probably you know, right. look into that, but I haven't done it yet. With Stray Bullets, you get this one gigantic, ongoing series that never disregards the overall universe, even though it jumps around from different time periods in its history. That's the same with Hellboy, but with Bullets, there is one writer and artist which, whether it really matters to the comic or not, creates a workload that surely limits the potential expansion of that universe. In Hellboy books, there's no limit to the range of ideas that can be explored, although it's as cohesive as it can possibly be. If Mignola himself had stayed on the books as sole creator, for better or worse, the entire thing may have been told from around a campfire in a graveyard. He made the right choices to branch out in the way he did. Not only did it mean getting a plethora of stories published with regularity, it also introduced us to a lot of great comic makers at the same time. Anyway, I just can't see the point of a character going through hell and back only to hit reset, and I can't think of another comic book universe quite like Hellboy's. I love when readers recognize that value. That is officially what makes someone in the club, pun intended. Uh 
When you love the content as much as how and why it was created, you know you've got something special. That is the reward of reading Hellboy in its entirety. Yeah, that was great. No, I mean, I totally agree. It's just, um, I don't know, it's just like, you know, with comics, you kind of think of it because they're, they're always rebooting, they're always rebirthing, or they're always having a crisis on their secret night. <laughs> um, but I mean, with Hellboy, I feel like I'm getting a story that's more akin to something like Lord of the Rings or the Amber Chronicles or something that's, you know, it's like a cohesive story. It keeps moving forward. Right. There's no going back. Well, and I think I, I don't necessarily disagree with the idea of, okay, I, I like the idea of, of the X-Men and in the spirit of the X-Men, I want to do this really cool idea with it and I want to have this really great... I, I think that a lot of people have come along and really created some excellent stories over the years. What I what I don't like is like you had mentioned, like, oh, the crisis of the whatever. Mm-hmm. work, And it means that we're going to have 83 new titles and you have to make sure you collect each and every single issue of every single title or else you're not going to know what's going on at all and that is not good storytelling that's just like we want to sell as many books as possible right which i understand you need to make money and feed your families and all this sort of thing like that is you know there is a balance though between being a creator and being able to support yourself and i think that the commitment to telling these great stories uh, by the artists and the writers is is really commendable, and I think that's always what I'm looking for. Whether it be, yeah, reboots can be annoying or they can be great, but you know, this is a very unique world that all these people have set up, and there isn't anything quite like it. And yeah. so that's something that I do appreciate. For, oh, yeah. I appreciate it for what it is, for sure. Well, I mean, I, I'm not really a hater on the reboots or anything no, yeah. because um, you know I I've been reading. Right, and I've, I wasn't I've been saying, I was just like, like yeah. 30 years or something like that, and, and I'm like, oh, man, like, I remember the Claremont run on X-Men. And sure, da, exactly. Da, da. And some people don't feel the same way about right. um, Inferno that I do, but... Um, there are good eras <laughs> of a very long-running idea. Uh, yeah. It's almost if, like its own mythology. But uh, with a reboot, at least, like, you know, another 14-year-old kid or sure. could pick it up and be like, that's there started right. their comic right that's yeah their, that's yeah. the beginning of their run or like with spider-man it's mm-hmm. like well we're just gonna have 800 different spider people sure why not yeah. you know that's i totally like i totally love that fine. yeah i think that's great if you get a, a creator team that's that's good but when you have um a self-contained universe oh, yeah. that's like you have to be so careful with its construction and its telling and it's something that everyone like you said has had a real reverence for and yeah that was a yeah. good that was a good uh a good uh, hey you damn guys that really was good stuff yeah we also got a uh, hi you dang boys from brian <laughs> levy i'm mostly writing in to gush and say thanks i've got anxiety problems that flare up every year or so for a few months and one of my main fallbacks for dealing with them in addition to therapy and zoloff has always been listening to podcasts they're soothing my stress-reducing podcast rotation has always been mainly big-ticket comedy podcasts. I'm talking Doughboys, Comedy Bang Bang, Last Podcast on the Left, stuff like that. Well, congratulations, guys, because you've made it into Brian's stress hey, podcast wow. pile. Nice. That's great. Well, Going... we're glad we can do something positive yeah. for you because I know that um, all three of us have struggled with anxiety and or depression at some point. Yeah. I mean, who doesn't? So we're, yeah, yeah that's we're glad we can help you with anything related to that that's yeah. great he says going back and listening to y'all talk about old hellboy issues has been an excellent resource for getting my mind off whatever dumb junk my brain decides i need to freak out about yeah. 
I also happen to be about seven episodes behind currently, so I've got a bit of a book club binge ahead of me that I'm really looking forward to. So thank you for the hours of entertainment. It's really good stuff. Yeah, and I have some anxiety problems. You know, I talk about that too. So I'm glad that we can help you in any way, shape, or form to help you get through all that dumb junk your brain's trying to tell you. Yeah, it's, you know, anxiety is no joke, and our our brain meets will freak out over just whatever. And so we all have our own yeah coping mechanisms and things like that and uh really glad that we could contribute to anything positive in that in that arena yeah i think i also like to listen to podcasts for like similar reasons just to kind of help my brain just not focus on that yes on that and and it's nice that we're able to do that for someone else yeah really we got uh hey you damn guys and gals (laughs) from tech pat I've worked for the past two years at a camp that offers a week-long BPRD junior agents camp, which has been which has been authorized by Mike the Man Mignola. Trackers Earth is a wilderness education and survival skills camp that emphasizes stewardship of the earth. That is so cool. They also offer themed LARP camps such as Spy Camp, School of Magic, Ninja Camp, and Pirate Camp, etc. And they still teach the same lessons, but with role-playing. For example, Zombie Camp is all the survival skills and stealthing about with the occasional zombie attacks and rescue missions. BPRD Camp is for older kids, junior high to high school age. We instructors take full advantage of this fact and constantly try and scare the shit out of them with various (laughs) occult encounters. We even make them fill out incident reports at the end of the day because we are, after all, a government agency. And what's a government agency without bureaucracy? (laughs) (laughs) That's actually good lessons to learn, Uh, kids. (laughs) There's that uh, there's that little part at the end of um, the Soul of Venice where they're Johan's like, "How do you guys type this up?" And Liz is like, "You'll get used to it." (laughs) Can I can I say I'm a little jealous of those kids? I know. I wish I had something like that. He yeah. says, um, "Hey, you could be a maybe a camp counselor or something." He says they uh, some of their shenanigans. Their field supervisor became possessed, <laughs> and they had to perform an exorcism while she vomited stage blood. <laughs> um, they have like forty percent script, sixty percent improv, so they kind of like play around with it. They've also done tracking and trapping werewolves, passing various tests administered by a local coven of hill witches in order to prove their worthiness. That's cool. Making and deploying magical traps for demons, traveling into the Greek underworld to retrieve the spirit of one of their senior instructors, staging battles <laughs> That's super fun. Um, with foam swords against monsters, and at the end of the week, the kids graduate from junior agents to full agents. Um, Do they get little badges? Yeah. Oh, man, I hope so. Oh, man. He says, lots of fun and scares have been had by both the kids and the adults. It's seriously the greatest job I've ever had, and I wish it lasted longer than a summer's week. He says, thank you three for such a great podcast on that subject that has been near and dear to my heart since 1998 when I read my first Hellboy book, Conqueror Worm. I've recommended your fabulous and fun podcast to my fellow camp instructors as a way to brush up on the mythos and help inspire them to create their own Hellboy verse. My favorite bits are Danielle's rants <laughs> and Aubrey's final words. And every time you all say, because fuck Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, a fan for life, Tech Pat de Sequoia. How fun. Thank oh. you so much I wish I had something Man, like that. that Writing in amazing. to tell us about that. That is, I would love to learn That's way more. That's very inspiring. More. Yes. Wow. I mean. I would love to know more. Yeah, so check out this um, organization, that. Earth Trackers. 
I so guess cool. they're the ones that kind of put this on. No, Tracker's Earth. Tracker's Earth. And he says he works in the Berkeley, California branch of Tracker's of course. Earth. And that's of where course. they have this. So. Berkeley's always coming up with the coolest Very cool. Shit. Man. That's great. Very cool. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for telling us about that. Man, I never had anything like that when I was a kid. That I, know, been, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't look that up. Well, and, and they're actually learning like survival skills yeah. too, which is really yeah. cool, you know. I'm going to go find out more about that. It's neat. I want to thank also Dampier Bard on Twitter. They shared us and said, Hellboy Book Club never disappoints. All the juicy Hellboy lore a nerd could ask for. On to some listener feedback. Ross Radke tagged me in a common thread on Instagram regarding an NFL football player, James Harrison. It was a picture of Harrison, and he had these round bruises all over his body from cupping therapy. Oh, interesting. At 39, Harrison was the oldest professional NFL player in the U.S. Before retirement, Harrison was spending $350,000 a year employing a team of specialists including massage therapists, acupuncturists, chiropractors, to help him with the pain and impact his intense workouts in the game had on his body. When it was mentioned to Harrison that scientists are skeptical about cupping and some of the other treatments he uses, he shrugged and said, All I know is before I get treated, I hurt, and after I feel better. Hey. Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting. Um, but it looked crazy, all the di- sure, all the bruises, because yeah. it's like I guess those cups leave. Yeah bruises and he just looked kind of like a leopard or something right well and far be it from me to tell you you shouldn't do something if it makes you feel better uh just turning my attention to the fact that these people ruin their bodies for millions of dollars and we're okay with that it's kind of weird there's an adam ruins everything i don't know if anyone ever watches (laughs) that about why why uh the nfl is really weird and tackling is really causes brain damage at even like the tamest level in high school so just putting that out there it's kind of weird hey look it's one of those danielle's rants that (laughs) sorry it's not even my rant i'm (laughs) I'm I'm turning your attention towards someone else's rant Uh, someone else has already ranted about this better than i could so jason abaddon gave us some feedback he said hey hellions thanks for the shout out the past couple of weeks you wanted to know when sean chen throws down with the ogdraham it happens in BPRD Gods. Get ready for that SmackDown. So some of the BPRD stuff, it's, it's been a long time since I've read. and right. So that does happen. So that's in a series that we were wondering about that based on this feedback last week. And he said, and we'll also get Sean Chen's full origin later in the reading order. So that'll be great. Thank you for following up with that, Jason. Mark Tweedo responded to our discussion on Menmen Sa on the last episode. He said, interesting theories about Memnon Saw at the beginning of this one. I agree that Saw wanted to save humanity, but he wanted humanity to survive by selling its soul. You're probably already familiar with the idea of the long defeat. It's not about winning or losing, but rather how we choose to meet our end. Memnon Saw looked to elevate himself to harness real power as his own. I think how humanity chooses to face its end will determine whether or not the spirit of humankind survives into the new world. It's not enough to survive at any cost. We must decide when it is better to die than to fall into ruin. Yeah, I, I'll agree with all of that. It's kind of that point in a story where people are like, well, if we're willing to trade our compassion for right. survival, then what are we fighting for? Kind of a thing of yeah. like, if we're willing to do these horrible things, what are we even fighting for? Sure, yeah. sure. Which that I totally sense. am. Yeah. It's like, are you going to just do horrible things to survive at any cost? Or are you going to be like, I'd rather die than 
become something awful right. yeah. in yeah. the process of trying to survive. So yeah. the whole what are we even fighting like for that. moment yeah. is always something that I'm like, oh, because it's like it's often used as a device in a movie as or a book or something to be like, well, that's why we can't make that decision. Right. You know, but there is something about it that does ring true in, in certain situations and be like, well, the reason that we take the long, hard road sometimes is because we are fighting for something a little greater and it's kind of a high concept it sometimes it isn't enough just to save your own skin sometimes you have to take these risks in order for a a long-term right more positive effect in general for other people as well so it's kind of a you know i I do agree with all of that i think that's interesting that they're um that we're that we're finding out that this is um it's a nuanced and complicated thing that runs straight through the bprd the whole way through Right, and it reminds me of that moment where Kate is telling Memnon Saw, she's like, why don't you ally yourself with us, and you know, this and that, and he's like, because I don't need you, you know what I mean? But that's part of what you're talking about, is like... He's like, nah, I'd rather just do this You have to have some sort of, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't want to do it the hard way. He doesn't want to, yeah, he doesn't want to have to deal with all that. He doesn't want to have to do that hard work that it (laughs) takes to possibly even, like, not survive. It's, you know, you're willing to to risk everything in order to just preserve the idea that goodness can be a thing. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... No, that's true. <laughs> true. <laughs> and at Rev Andy Carlson chimed into that discussion. He said, one of the things I love most about this epic is how each character has their own motivation. Whether they're on the good side or the bad side, Mignola gives us real alliances, not just supervillain team-ups. Jan Niklas gave us some feedback. He Jan said, Niklas. Did I ever mention how much I appreciate that Danielle's opinion often differs so much from mine? Guilford, he will always be Guilford for me. I know that she means that I think he should be completely unscrupulous messiah figure, but as Kate points out, he's just one guy with a sect of fanatic monks at his hands. <laughs> of course, at the beginning of The Black Goddess, he has the power of the Vril at his hands, but what were his long-term goals? What can he do with 40 monks and one secret weapon? How did he want to rebuild the world in his secret abbey where no one knows how to find him? He says often that others don't see the big picture, but he doesn't have a coherent plan besides get the Vril plus hide in the abbey plus rebuild civilization equals victory. Rasputin at least worked together with people that had the money and the resources he could to reach his goal. Guilford is just sitting on his ass and hopes that things will turn out. (laughs) He's as passive and blind as he thinks others are. Personally, I think the plan of the Oan Society would have had more chances to succeed. At least they used and built upon ideas that they themselves brought up. Guilford steals other people's ideas, and his actions and arrogance show that he doesn't care about saving humanity he just cares about living out his fantasy of being lord of the world. The longer I think about him, the more I'm convinced he's maybe the biggest loser in the, BP- the BPRD <laughs> ever fought. Because he only lives out that fantasy of an earlier life that may have never existed. Okay, now on to the wild hunt. I will hold back all until you finished it and just gush about the first issues and the motive of the hunt. Issue 1 has it all. The atmosphere, the absurd humor and the old clash between old, the hunters and their rituals, and new, Hellboy, who's very sarcastic about the stuffy guys. Yes, that was great, and I very much enjoyed yeah. that dynamic. They're oh, all, yeah. dost thou ancient <laughs> ways of, and Hellboy's like, I, what? What's uh, the deal with the guy in the deer head? What's the deal with that shit, man? Yeah. yeah, super good. I don't know what it is, but I just love the idea of Hellboy hunting giants like a hero of old folklore with the good old sword and sorcery novel. And it fits. 
You don't raise an eyebrow and think, well, Hellboy doesn't fit with the fantasy stuff. Where are the Nazis? Just shows again how versatile the character really is. Yeah. And then there's the Wild Hunt. I think I first heard of this concept in the first The Witcher game, but Mignola brought it to life for me. I just love the motif of people riding into the storm to do something. To be forebearers of war, famine, plagues, the servants of big changes of destruction and death. Mark Chadbourne, British fantasy author, made it really interesting in his foreword to the first edition of The Wild Hunt. So I've never read that, but I guess there's there's other versions of this idea of The right. Wild Hunt. The riders of the hunt are either doomed souls to die on the wild ride or bringers of hope after a long and destructive night. No matter what they do, death follows and maybe blows the horn to fire them up so they can join his court. There's always a certain element of tragedy in it because it is in the nature of the hunt that something will die. And I just love this idea. I tried so long to implement this motif in my own writing and finally found a way with a little tweak and whenever I can, I find a way to bring in a little reference to it because riders and storms and crows, lots of doom crying crows, are too cool not to be used as often as possible. (laughs) So ride on, ye damned pack, on the waves of casted pods. Ride on and hear the second half of this pod casted in a storm imagination. That was good. That was good. That was 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 a wonderful comment and i uh i agree with you i think that that's the whole point of having the book club is that we're all here to you know bounce ideas off each other and get excited about the story and and share our perspective and maybe gain a little perspective ourselves and hearing that in one another's you know unique takes and opinions and challenging each other to think uh, in another way and it's always fun and exciting for for me i do agree with uh what you had to say about mimimsa then then about Guilford Gilly boy yeah Gilly (laughs) Gilly boy and I just want to add something a little bit further is that I know that there was some a little bit of talk about how what's the point of this guy you know we had a Rasputin so what's this guy's deal Rasputin was very extreme you're talking about well Rasputin allied himself with fucking Nazis and all this shit and it was really extreme and yeah well yeah that is true and Guilford did not and I think that that is important to have as a distinction because he could be a reflection of us. He could be any one of us. We're not going to ally ourselves with fucking Nazis and be a weird wizard and do all this, but we might be like, well, that's not my fucking problem. Right. So well, maybe I don't have he to do also, anything like, about it. He also saw the truth and all this crazy shit. Yeah. You know, so it's and like if you see some bad shit going down and you're being realistic yeah. about it. You're saying, well, if I'm being realistic about this, I know more than it, you guys. Y'all are not going to survive. So why the fuck would yeah. I try? And it's to to us. Yeah. We want to think that we would all be the person who would say because it's the right thing to do to fight for goodness, to fight for compassion, yeah, yeah. even down to the last breath, even if it means we're not going to survive this. To mean that we died a good, honorable death, at least being a good, per- or would we in the end be the kind of person who would be like, no, 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 fuck that shit, you know? Uh, I don't. I take it back. I don't care about that. I just want to live. Like I, you know, right. fuck you. I'm out of here. So it could that be a less extreme evil wizard guy because we need a reflection of us in this story could it be the final test the crumbling like it's not as extreme as firing lasers out of your eyes right yeah like that was you know i'm alluding to the gates yeah, and the never you talked story. about that last but week. the crumbling statue yeah is a little scarier because he could that could be us that could be like well we're kind of just giving up right well it's it's a lot it's a lot harder to face like well you could just give up or you could keep fighting even though you think it's going to be, like, for no reason. But you have to find a reason. You have to find – and that is the hardest thing of all is to, is to face certain doom 
being like, well, at least I'm doing it right. At least I'm going to my death in the right way. Right. Like, that's really hard. <laughs> we're yeah. not programmed to think like that, but we have to achieve this higher. So we're challenged with achieving this higher, quote unquote, idea of goodness of like compassion means even if you're risking your life, you're still at least treating people with compassion. So like this this Guilford character could be us. Right. He could he's a he's a kind of a coward or he's kind of a whatever, but that could be us if we're not careful, if we're not sure. brave, if we're not whatever. So I think it is important to have that just so we have all flavors of evil wizard. Um, <laughs> you know, evil wizard doesn't just come in one in one archetype. There are many archetypes of, yeah. of wizards. So, yeah. uh, but and then also that whole thing of um, you know the fantasy of a former life that never really existed. We have to battle that in America sometimes of people who are like, oh, remember the good old days back when you could just be racist and no oh, one would do anything about it right. is what they're really saying. But, the, you know, the good old days never really existed. We have to constantly fight to make each generation a little bit better than the last. You, there's no mythical good old days. What are you talking about? The good old days when people were just dying of polio left and right or the good old days when women couldn't vote or the good old days when, you know, African-American people couldn't. <laughs> eat in certain diners or like what like you know so there's not a good old days there's just the present and possibly the future if you are you know willing to help build it right. so that's something that's another he's not willing to do that he's he's willing to let it all burn just for a couple people to survive and that's the bprd is not having it so that's i think to have a team that's going to stand up against that of the choice between cowardice and not is right. It's easy to fight against someone who's like, well, I'm a Nazi and I'm going to kill every Jewish person. Well, oh, we're definitely fighting this person, right. but it's, you know, <laughs> is it going to be someone who's like, well, we could just kind of like wait it out and see. Right. Yeah. There were some, there were some neutral countries. Yeah, weren't there? Sure. So it's like, is neutral just as bad as being bad? I think that it is. Yeah. So there it is. And well, that's, well, he he was doing more than just being neutral, though. He was also trying to. Right, 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 right. He wanted to set himself up like um, right. as the ruler at the end. After sure, all, and that is a yeah. I for mean, sure. so so he's less like Switzerland and more like Charles Manson. Yeah, well, yeah, no, wow. but it was so tempting. That's a good, yeah, but, but it was so tempting for Kate to be like, "Why don't you just be on our side?" Oh, of course, yeah. of course. Like you, know. you could I mean, just be on our side, man. She, I think that she thought that he might be a little bit easier to reach than. Yeah. Someone like a Rasputin. Oh, yeah. Totally. I mean, with Rasputin, Rasputin, you know, and I mean, even before he hooked up with the Nazis, he was involved with the fall of the Romanov, so he was already... He was already. Yeah. yeah. And then he, like, spent, what was it, like, five, fifty years? Or, no, five. <laughs> <laughs> like, fifty years or something like that, at the foot of the Audrey However long, yeah. yeah oh, exploring yeah. Exploring to that whole thing, and, and, and old Gilly Boy, he's... Uh, yeah. You know, he, he released once to a world after this and with Rasputin just wants the world to burn. Yeah. Right. So, or, but then yeah, that's, the Agdruja had to we, come. Yeah. We have to have a team that's going to say, that's still not good enough. We're, we want all or nothing. Right. You know, we're willing to, to risk everything in order to just be like, you know, this, yeah. this little bit that you're offering is not good enough. We want to do it the right way. We want to hang on to what is good about us. Yeah. Um, in a really nebulous kind of a way. It's like, what is goodness? Oh, well, how can you define it? Well, we know it's not this. You yeah. know? Process of elimination. Guilford, this is not it. <laughs> yeah. But no, I and I really appreciate all those comments and I, I love the discussion that yeah, I think that I, I'm right on board with everything so that you said for sure. I oh, dig yeah. it. 
And Kevin Alford, he said, me and my evil wizard aesthetic are coming for you, Jan Niklas. (laughs) (laughs) And Kevin Alford, he mentioned last week how he was defending Memnonsa, and Jan Niklas said, come at me, you fashion victim. Your silly crowns won't even fit through the door. (laughs) There was some back and forth on there. It was very amusing. Oh, man, I read that. That was like a... Look, I can be a fan of the evil wizard aesthetic and not align myself with what <laughs> they're doing. Yeah, it does bring up a good point. Why do the evil wizards have to have like wacky fashion? Because <laughs> it's amazing and fantastic. Yeah. Well, I guess if you're gonna go evil wizard, might as well go. Yeah, go, go all of it. Yeah. <laughs> What's We're gonna the move point on? of being an evil wizard if you can't have awesome, cool outfits. Anyway, sorry. No, it's okay. No, you. But you make a good point. <laughs> Um, going back to the rest of the feedback on the wild hunt, Drew Campbell said, I love the storytelling on display here. The tragedy of Gragog's backstory and the way Duncan perfectly expresses his deep sadness oh. adds so much to the depth of the character, oh. who previously had seemed fairly one-dimensional. Other than the pure bloodlust of the Blood Queen, it's pretty easy to sympathize with the plight of the fair folk. I mean, after all, they're fighting against their own extinction. On the flip side, you have Hellboy, who is definitely the good guy, and yet the reveal of the way he massacred the giants is pretty disturbing the fear in the giant's eyes right before that red panel is chilling well we're gonna get into that yeah the scene reminds me of the troll witch's admonishment to hellboy after being disappointed about not getting to kill anything and the art throughout the book is just so beautiful and cinematic and mythical in scope every scene has so much weight a true masterwork yeah also, I find it interesting that Hellboy is so adamant about saying he's American, not English. I mean, <sighs> after all, he was born in England, and he was raised by an Englishman, not to mention the fact that his mother was English. Then again, that connection to his origins and his true mother and father is maybe exactly why he doesn't want to think of himself as an Englishman. Yeah, we're going to get into that too. By denying his Englishness <laughs> and emphasizing his Americanness, he is asserting his sense of self-determination and stating that he alone, through his own beliefs and actions, can determine his identity. And the circumstances of his origins, which are beyond his control, do not dictate who he is. And all this from a simple, almost throwaway line. It's an important hero archetype right? that is always something that they end up kind of battling at some point or another is their own, I don't even know if I would, it's kind of like hubris, but it's a more like refined, detailed type of Mm. of thing of like, well, I can determine my own fate. And then there's other forces that work that are like, uh, no, you are not going to do that. Sure, yeah. (laughs) So it becomes this whole... Anyway, but I'm agreeing with all the things that you were saying so far. I'm digging this analysis. And he said, lastly, I hope we get to see stories of the Slug House and Black Anna someday. The Slug House should fit in perfectly in a future winter special. Uh, Yeah, so um, we haven't got to any of the winter specials yet, but they're just kind of these collections of stories that are kind of out of continuity. I mean, they're kind of... They're in continuity, but they're kind of. Um, and now we're gonna ha- have tell you a story about right. something it's like else a, that happened. Yeah, it's just like an open and closed story that could, you could just read anywhere like without with the to- like the the heads. The, what is yeah, kind of like those. Yeah, yeah. Heads. Yeah, good stuff. We're about to get into literally all the things that you are talking about, so <laughs> this is definitely the episode to do all that. Ross Radke, he sent us some feedback, but he also had a question. Ross Radke. He said, so I'm thinking of doing some Hellboy art as part of my daily drawing project and was wondering if you had any suggestions. Hellboy Day is March 23rd and the movie comes out April 12th, so I'm wondering if I should go all in and do 21 Hellboy drawings between those days. Yes, you should. Yeah, and so... Most definitely. <laughs> 
I was telling him. Um, we got Grogok. You got yeah. A uh, side. We got Nimu. We Nimu? got. Yeah. There's so much you can draw. Please yeah. draw all of it. And I was Birds. telling him. Uh, I was telling him like, remember he did that Dictionary Infernal Hellboy. Yes, it was so like good. he could do different versions like that of the different characters, or I don't know, you know, just like different. I don't know. I love how we're things. telling him that he needs to draw all this stuff. Like, <laughs> like we don't. Like we don't have any idea how. How tough it is to draw something every day. Uh, well, all we're saying is we appreciate your work and we would love to see any take you have yeah. on anything from the Hellboy mythology. So yeah, it would please be great. feel free to draw as much or as little as you want, but we would love to see it. Yeah. Well, is he asking us for like a specific recommendation? Like He was just saying any somewhere? suggestions on this idea. I, I think it's a great idea to incorporate that. I would definitely retweet him from the you know from the twitter page and not stuff that like we're that. saying that artists should draw for exposure we do not believe that sure, at sure. all but if he's already going to be drawing stuff and is just looking for ideas we got a bunch of them. and it's a fun way to hype the movie too absolutely by the way if you're on twitter and you use the hashtag mike mignola hellboy or bprd you get this little hellboy emoji yeah, they put a little have you seen the hellboy emoji it's no, like a little auto-generated yeah it's do. really cool looking it's, oh. it's a little cute little hellboy emoji i have to check that out um i don't know i guess like i wouldn't mind seeing him draw um that little i guess fish god thing that merged with um oh, yeah. um the jellyfish yeah yeah that's a great idea that'd be kind of cool or to the see. stag guy or anything oh, that right. has to do with the upcoming that the stories that oh. we're reading currently I think oh yeah that would be a, really a, a stuff idea. that's um relating to the movie in some way yeah. like grogok and baba yaga and i stuff just like want to see witches that's just yeah. my own personal <laughs> <laughs> and so ross radke he posted a picture of when hellboy and alice they run into that what did i call him hobnoggins hobnoggins <laughs> That little guy. And he said, just got to this page and it clicked in my head what I want from a Hellboy film. They keep <laughs> trying to do Men in Black when what they should do is something more like Jim Henson's Labyrinth. Oh. Yeah, with all the little creatures and stuff like that. That would yeah. be really cool. That's yeah. a neat. That would be a neat take on it. Mix that with the X-Files and you got a stew going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You got a stew going. Matthew Boyne said, I love watching Hellboy and Alice's relationship grow in the book. It's one of the many reasons this is my favorite Hellboy series. Their relationship feels a lot more real than most relationships in media. Yeah, so I thought that, that was interesting, the bringing back that character Alice from the corpse, who was is just a baby. Is she supposed to be like the audience surrogate, like we're going on this adventure with Hellboy or something? Because like, we've never had to, we've never needed that before. So I actually found her placement in the story a little bit precarious i was like why is she here like what I, is this supposed to be but i then think it's... she's supposed to add as a actual human relationship we'll get yeah. to this a, l a little bit later and read her feedback i want to yeah. come back to this she was kind of a late addition so i'm always a little wary of that yeah. just a personal thing sure but i it's i i don't dislike the character and i don't think that she's without purpose or anything like that i'm not trying to hate on the character or anything right. and i i'm not trying to i'm not trying to uh, minimize your love of the character because i i appreciate the character very much i just um my initial reaction was like what's okay what's gonna happen reading the full story of course you get the the idea that she is there for us to feel this anyway i will read it and then we'll yeah, talk about it later. we'll talk about it talk about it with our we'll, friends we'll read it and then we'll talk about it when i posted the comparison of figredo and mignola's versions of the events of the corpse duncan figredo actually commented hey he said those scenes were so much fun to revisit nice read through guys fyi the envelope wasn't lettered by me 
probably Clem Robbins did it. Oh, yeah. Thank you for cool. Letting us know. And he said, and the recreation of the etching of the Wild Hunt was suggested by Mignola. Now you know. Cool. Yeah, so I'd wondered about that, too. So thank you so much for that feedback. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate your participation and any anything you want to tell us about the process we're always very yeah. glad to hear about that thank you so much and thank you also for listening that's really really amazing <laughs> awesome thank you colin de he posted this little meme on our facebook thread it said do you know the difference car enthusiasts or dreaded cultists <laughs> Remember we talked about those cars, uh, you know, and I didn't realize this until I went back to Nature of the Beast. But um, uh, we you talked about those cars, Aubrey, in Nature of the Beast mm-hmm. when Hellboy pulls up to the Osiris Club. Those cars are outside too. Oh yeah, drawn by Mignola. It's the same cars. Good. I thought that was a uh-huh. nice little detail to throw in there. That's a he, Duncan definitely went back and saw those cars in Nature of the Beast and redrew them. I was very tickled by that. That was good. good. Jason Abaddon said, when the Osiris guys are talking about Hellboy being unaware of certain rumblings and giants rising from their graves, I took that to be a reference to the Ogdruham, giant monsters in the BPRD, which have been popping up around this time. So we didn't even make that connection. Cothaham and those monsters in Munich and all that stuff. Oh, I just kind of all those damn cities. Right, yeah. Yeah. So he, when they talked... Remember, I was like, I've never heard of giants returning from the dead, or but the Osiris guys might have been talking about those Ogdruhems. Yeah, they were giants coming up from their graves. So I thought that was a great piece of feedback when I posted the right hand of doom booms against the giants. Ad Rev Andy Carlson said, knowing how they wound up, I kind of feel bad for these giants now. <laughs> and Ross Radke said, I thought it was an interesting choice to have Hellboy's horns grow after killing the giants. In the past, they've grown when external forces were trying to force Anung Unrama to rise. But this Maybe time, that's what's going on, though. Right, he said, but this time yeah. they grew from Hellboy's own rage, which is later commented on by Queen Mab. Well, in this story that we're about to talk about here, which is just the same story, but it's the second part of the same story, uh, there's a little bit more of an insight into right. that whole oh, thing. Yeah. So we never know what's mm-hmm. going on. He also says there are so many things to love about this story arc. Hellboy's disconnect with our reality, Grogok's ba- sad backstory, all the loose threads coming back to haunt Hellboy. As the epic builds, there's still time for weird gags like the slug house. When I posted about the little bird, I asked if it was the same bird and everybody seemed to think so. I got a lot of comments about that. And Matt Strackbean said he's at Friends of Strackbean on Instagram. I always hoped it was supposed to be Merlin the Magician. Oh, great. Because oh. we haven't really seen Merlin, although we see somebody in this one that I think might be him. And Eddie White said, I've always adored the way they use birds as familiars. Yes, absolutely. Jason Abaddon said, when I met Mignola, Mignola joked about how they actually killed Hellboy in the island and nobody even noticed, (laughs) which makes perfect sense as he can't tell the dead from the living after that. Until he meets Alice again, he never interacts with anyone actually alive, possibly including the guys from the Osiris Club and the Hunters. It's never expressly stated what's the deal with those guys. And oh so, shit! So this is a sixth sense kind of a thing here. So think. Th- so you were just talking about what's Alice's purpose. Yeah. I think it's be- to bring him back into the real world oh, too. Oh, so because beautiful. he hasn't he hasn't talked to anybody except ghosts. That's and such a beautiful yeah. since the island sentiment. since he died. Yeah, yeah. You think about that. Wow. And Actually, so 
Jason's saying that he can't tell the difference between the living and the dead. That's wonderful. Which I think is well, a great... Well, the pieces just fall into place, yeah, don't they? I like That's that. fantastic. Very nice. And he said, I wonder if these guys aren't dead in the wild hunt. If they were really still alive, I think we'd have seen them be more active. On the other hand, they knew about the internet, and the dead seemed locked into the era <laughs> they lived in. Who knew about the internet? The those Osiris guys uh, they told Hellboy yeah. that he hasn't been on the internet or anything. Oh right, remember? Right, they might be like a half in, half out kind of a thing. Yeah, you know, you never know. And Mark Tweedo kind of chimed in on that idea. He said, "Gotta say, I love this dreamlike phase of the Hellboy comics. It began with the Third Wish, and we keep sinking deeper and deeper into it." That is true. Yeah. Awesome. So thank you so much for all the listener feedback. We had so many good comments. So just keep that coming every week. And the when I posted about it, I said. Hey guys, and try not to spoil the second part of the Wild yeah. Hunt. And I was worried we weren't going to get any feedback, but we still got a ton. So thank you so much. Also, I'm very proud of everyone for being so chill. Yeah. And oh yeah. And just everyone wants to have a good book club, so we're all just being chill and no spoilers, please, and nobody does. Yeah. So that's really nice. And also about everybody being chill. Thank you, everyone, for being so lenient with my pronunciations. I got like, <laughs> I got three different comments from people just saying hey this is how you actually pronounce my name and i really appreciate we that do, we do want to please say, if i'm saying your name wrong please tell me please remind me because um i th- i just don't want to do that and regarding the wild hunt one thing i forgot to talk about last week the damn credits obviously the wild hunt is written by mignola art by duncan Figredo, colors by dave stewart and letters by clem robbins Issues 5 through 8 of The Wild Hunt were published in August to November 2009, and a few of these issues featured backup stories, one of them being The Burial of Catherine Baker, which we read on our Witchfinder Stories episode 22, and some other little stories that we'll be getting to later on. We pick up in Chapter 5, At Night in England, we see Grogok and the Blood Queen, and we just learned of Grogok's tragic origin. And the Blood Queen has made her peace with the witches, and she stated that she wants an army of hateful creatures. I wish you could see what I see, the Blood Queen tells Grogok. And his head is in her lap, and her hand's on her on his head. It kind of reminds me of, in the flashback, that's how Grogok was with that woman that he yeah. loved. They were posed the same way as yeah. this. I think I overuse this word when we have our book club discussions, but it's so poignant. Right, yeah. But it's a this very moment. tragic, poignant thing because I personally, I don't know if anyone else out there feels this way. I want more for Grogok. I feel so yeah. bad for him. Oh, I want to talk about this later. I yeah. feel so bad for him. I guess yeah. I kind of feel like maybe I know people like this or maybe I see myself in him or mm. something. I don't know, Like, but I see reflected in him people i care about myself i feel like i want more for him i feel like I, I feel like why do you want this thing why can't you just you know and i i know that something tragic has happened to you and you just can't let go of it but like you know i i want more for you i don't right. want you to follow this tragic path to its mm-hmm. end I, I i want you to try and and find your own peace and your own sense of redemption in your own way but it's just his the look of comfort that he has yeah. when he's in her lying in her lap like that and he's he's sad but he's also kind of hoping that this is gonna help him and it's right. just such a oh man like oh yeah i was gonna comment the same thing it's just like i really like the uh, way that for drew this page because you can between that and the dialogue you can just 
you know, you could yes. you could feel his remorse and his sadness and his depression yeah. and his hoping and his longing that maybe this is coming to a um to an end and he'll be able to go on to his next um, right plan to kill Hellboy. And she's embracing <laughs> him. Yeah. And she's she's embracing him and she's got her hand. You can see that I mean it's not it's so cinematic that I can see although it's not animated or it's not whatever i can see her stroking his head right and kind of like soothing him and being so gentle with him and and he's you know you can tell that he hasn't had any kind of peace in such a long time and said he's willing to take any kind of comfort he can and that this is like oh he's found this the goddess this woman this witch that's gonna help him and he's oh he finds a moment to relax like maybe this is it and it's just right. such a tragic fucking scene <laughs> yeah and it's so perfect and so well done and it's it's such an archetype that it's like a capital a mm-hmm. and it's just very oh man i can't this is this is the content that i crave <laughs> yeah and yet it's so painful yes I yes. don't know what that is. It's like eating very spicy food. It's like <laughs> it's it hurts, but you can't stop doing it. Out of the hollows of the earth, my army is coming. The Blood Queen says. Grogok says he can't see, not with these eyes. My poor boy, I know. The Queen says. Grogok says if he had his powers, he could serve her better. And that just the way he says it, though. Yeah. If I had my powers again, if I could be what I was before. Yeah. I could serve you better. Yeah. And it's just such a fucking, ah, oh, it gets you right in the, yeah. and the I, heart I, meat. Yeah, I was going to say, I also like the way that the, uh, the way that Clem Robbins does the the lettering where it's like normal size in the yeah. one. Yeah. And then it drops to the, the half size. It's, it's like a whisper. Yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah. And the Blood Queen tells Grogok that he's done so much already. He rescued her. And I was thinking about this from, because from her point of view, she was chopped up and left in this guarded deep box underground yeah. and she was going to be there forever. And so, you know, now she's been brought back. Grogok says he could do more for love of me, for promise of a future for your people. And is there not some other reason? Hellboy, Grogok whispers. Ah, revenge, the queen says. I know my witches by their art are seeking to find him. Your followers are scattered far and wide searching for him. It will not be long before he's found. Don't kill him, Grogok says. No, when the time is right, I will make you strong again, as you did for me. I will do for you. Then Hellboy will be yours. And I just love this last panel. There's that little lamp in the tree, too. I like that little... um... Well, it's a witch tree. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a single kind of gnarled up tree... Right, it's the witch tree. I was saying, yeah, I just really love the the whole layout of this panel with yeah. the tree and the lamp and the moon and the, yeah, everything. It's just wonderful. Over with Hellboy and the three bird ladies, Hellboy stands in front of this dark castle surrounded in fire. What's the deal with the fire, Hellboy asks. The birds explain that their lady's castle has been under siege by demons for 500 years. And we see all these little demon guys in the fire. I really love their designs. I really like how Hellboy just says, what's the deal with the fire? Yeah. <laughs> I can just kind of hear it and see like, dude, what the fuck? He's tired. He wants to get to the point. Yeah. And he's like, and who's that guy? And we see this hulking armored figure with a mace. Horns come out of his eye holes. Or is it a hammer? Oh, yeah. It's like a hammer. Ma- yeah, it's like a hammer. But it's no, it's yeah, like the- a four-sided hammer, yeah. I think. The ho- the horns oh, coming out of the eye holes though is is the yes that's just amazing the, the detail <laughs> that I also immediately seized on though I was just like what the fuck 
It's such a great design for yeah. uh, whatever Duke of Hell or whatever. The yeah. Hell. The bird ladies say that he commands the others and guards the bridge. But obviously, you guys can fly in and out of that place. And however you got us here, I'm sure you could have gotten us over him and into that castle, right? Hellboy asks, Our lady requires that you cross that bridge, the bird lady says. Your lady just needs somebody to take that guy out. Did she set up the whole thing from the beginning? And there's just this one silent panel, right, as she kind of, she doesn't say anything. And so remember that that hobnoggins like led them into this whole trap that caused Alice to get poisoned anyway for them to be here. Yeah. Screw it. I'll deal with your boss later, Hellboy says. I love how he just runs at this guy. Like he just comes running up (laughs) to the armored guy. And from this angle, we can see that the Duke of Hell, this armored guy, has these steam holes in the back in his back. I really like that part of his design. Oh, he's like a furnace. Yeah. I don't know why when you said steam hole, that just made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) Go back, the armored guy says, and he just booms Hellboy out of the way. I love how this is paced from one page to the next because we kind of see him running and he just gets totally knocked back by this guy. None shall pass this way, the armored guy says, and he just bashes the shit out of Hellboy, sending him flying with each boom. By this road, none shall leave, none shall enter. And Hellboy just struggles on the ground, and he really gets pummeled over these couple of pages here, and the art is just incredible. Hellboy glances over at Alice, and she's succumbing to the poison. The bird women carry her. He just continues to get beaten by this guy. Fagredo does a great job of making Hellboy look really desperate in this moment. Till I collect what is owed, none shall pass this way. And this armored guy lifts Hellboy and tosses him aside. And Hellboy lands, like he breaks through part of this bridge and he lands near where all these little demon guys are. I like the way he tosses him. It's almost like an underhanded toss. Like, yeah. It's like... Get away from me. (laughs) Yeah, it is. He'll never let you cross that bridge. And as you are now, you can't beat him, one of these little demons says. Any suggestions, Hellboy asks? I just love that panel where he asks that. And the demon says, first promise that you will remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Hellboy's like, sure. I don't dare say his name, but he is a duke in hell and a knight commanding 31 legions of spirits. His authority is granted to him by the kings and princes of hell. And the sign of that authority is... The ring he wears on his right hand, the Order of the Fly. To destroy that ring would be to cut him off from his power. And Hellboy's like, thanks. And he goes, remember your promise. And I love this little focus in on the ring. You can see the fly in there. It's really well done. And I just love this whole idea that... The Order of the Fly. Yeah, Yeah. and that's where he's getting his power from. It's from his the Order, the house that he's a part of or whatever. That's what we call concept aesthetic. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) They don't call it that. I just, I don't know. It's good stuff. We'll we'll call it that from now on. Yeah. (laughs) The Duke swings his hammer at Hellboy again, and Hellboy kind of catches it, and he's like, give me that. And the Duke raises the hammer, and Hellboy kind of stays on it. He just kind of goes up with it on the handle. (laughs) He's like a little monkey compared to this giant opponent who calls Hellboy a fool. And in this moment, Hellboy reaches in with his right hand of doom and crunches the ring on the Duke's hand. A little fly bugs yeah, out. Yeah, it comes out. I really like that. Like it's trapped in there or whatever. Interesting. It's mystical. Yeah. Mystical fly. For sure. What did you do, the Duke asks. Who's a fool now, jackass? Hellboy responds. <laughs> and he punches the, doom, the Duke with the right hand of doom and it sends this huge plume of smoke out of his chest. And then Hellboy just picks up this giant boulder, this giant like piece of the bridge. I like all the crane crawling. Yeah. 
the Duke says, no, mercy. And Hellboy says, that's right. And he just like crunches it on top of him. Really great action beat as Hellboy rallies up. I really like this moment. Yeah, the the sense of speed here is really well articulated. When they just say, hurry. They're hurrying so fast that they turn into birds again to fly yeah, to where they're going. Yeah, like that really yeah. gives it that sense of urgency to me. But also, I really like how all the fire goes out. Yeah, it's, like it's all out. It's just all it's just smoke. Everything's smoke. covered in smoke because all that fire just went out, too. So it completely changes the color the palette, palette of yeah. the previous scene. Yeah, because they're going from these like nice cooler. bright oranges and yeah. warm colors. And then, bam, these, gray. Like, purpley gray. Yeah, yeah purple gray. They hurry into the castle and they confront a robed man holding a chalice. It's the wizard. It's the archetype of the old man of the wizard. Th- this is who I was thinking yes, was Merlin. Definitely Merlin yeah. for sure. Oh, I thought it was more like a uh, like an alkalite, not like an actual wizard. Somebody who's more like a um, like the queen is the wizard. Uh, right, yeah. right. And she's well, and she's like he's like a apprentice or something. Okay. She, well, we're, we'll get into that because yeah. she actually. Okay, yeah, we will get into she that. She had yeah. a lot of run-ins with Merlin. She oh, was a lot. She was uh, had a little bit of a. Mm. And oh yeah, huh? <laughs> Hellboy holds Alice in front of this man, who serves Alice from this chalice. She'll live, he says, and color comes back into her face. That's a very subtle detail that I like. The story from here on out, I just feel like it's going to be chock full of archetypes, right? And so we've seen it a million times in various cultures. You know, like the hermit or the. Mm-hmm. The whoever you know and right it's very, he um, looks like that yeah. yeah he's got the cup and she the cup of life she's gonna drink from the oh, cup of yeah. life it's the it's the chalice of the whatever we're looking for that for a million years you know sure. that, that kind of thing is that supposed to be the holy grail yeah oh Dude. i don't know i mean let us know i, I mean thought, that that, I mean, that, that is in king arthur yeah I oh, thought that's what okay. it was, so, right? I don't know a whole lot. I'm not well versed in King Arthur. Because you drink from the chalice and you have everlasting life or whatever. Uh, like she's dying. Mm. I right? thought that that Great. was kind of could be the thing. And you know, what's weird is like when I was reading this the other day. The first thing I thought when I saw him is like he reminded me of the knight in Last Crusade mm-hmm. when Indy goes into the building and gets You're the, right. the cup. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> wow. And but I didn't. I still didn't make that connection then until right now. <laughs> Good find, I know. Yeah, good one. Hellboy turns around and Morgan Le Fay makes her grand entrance Morgan walking down Le the Fay. stairs. So literally Morgan the fairy. Yes. So she's like, you know, queen of fairies. She's the witch fairy. She's the enchantress. She's outright a goddess in her own way and has a lot of different names. Uh, Morgan or Morgana mm-hmm. or also sometimes Morrigan. Right. Which we, do you want to get into that now or do you want to do it later? No, we'll do it later because I have my own notes on that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'm curious about that. (laughs) Well, she's, uh, you know, this kind of mishmash of old Welsh folklore and Celtic mythology. And there's a loose connection with the Morrigan from Irish mythology, which is a great queen or phantom queen. Or she's associated with crows. And it's it's like, it's kind of this two halves of the same whole sort of a deal where... Is she a triple goddess? Is she good? Is she bad? We don't know. So it's like, I feel like. I think here they're two different, yes, though. But Morgan I feel like, and, yeah. Mor- and Morgan Le Fay. I feel like the storytelling, though, is taking these two things that are, it's like a murky, are they related, yeah. are they not kind of a thing, and is portraying them as like two sides of the same coin. Like on this over here, we have what could have been 
and then over here we have what could have been, but they're both simultaneously taking place. Right. So I feel like they sort of split this character into two in a way. Like we, you have like the the Wizard of Oz, you've got the good witch and the bad witch, the wicked witch or whatever, and it's like that's the same Right, yeah. You know, archetype. So it's like the you've got the triple goddess of the the birds here, but it's all light and I'm on the side of good, I promise. And then over here you've got well, we'll get to it, but right. Mor- the yeah. Morgan, um, who has different names like... Um, what? Who are you talking about? The Morgan? Yeah, I was going to talk about Morgan, but we can get into that. We'll get to that one later. later. Yeah. Right now, let's, uh, so I guess just with Morgan Le Fay, the only other things that I have, she's generally seen as benevolent and related to King Arthur as his magical savior and protector. But as her prominence increased over time, so did her moral ambivalence. And in some texts, there is evolutionary... In some texts, there is evolutionary transformation to her as antagonist. Well, that's not shocking at all. Right. Um, because, of course, as we already know, paganism has been vilified by monotheism, and it's just increased as time has gone on. So, yeah, at first, of course, she was just in her natural state of like, yeah, I'm a fairy queen. Right. What of it? I'm a fairy goddess. And then over time... Of course, we have to make that into something bad, so we've got to tell these terrible stories about how she's actually evil and bad, and over time, I'm sure that grew and grew until, oh, we don't know. It's ambivalent. It's kind of weird. Right, exactly. A significant aspect in many of Morgan's medieval and later iterations is the unpredictable duality of her nature with potential for both good and evil. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) that's literally every person. Well, I guess like when I, I guess my first experience with the whole King Arthur legend was the movie Excalibur back in the '80s, and so I guess I've always seen like Morgan Le Fay as more of the antagonist, and it's only more recently that I've been seeing her portrayed in a better light. So right, and um, it's kind of coming back around to be yeah. like, well, maybe we shouldn't punish women simply for being women. I yeah. don't know. That's that's the thing. Although, we could do. I just want to point out, I noticed somewhere here. You notice all these like legs just dangling from the ceiling up there? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna. That was so weird. But the first uh, when I was reading through this, I'm in mean, the library edition. I, I I don't think I had noticed that detail before of all those legs hanging down, and this little bird comes in and says her name too. I like that, and she looks at Hellboy and she says, "Welcome home." Uh... We cut back over to England with the Blood Queen and her crew. The Hedgehog announces an ambassador from Udsvik, king of Jutland. And Jutland is a large peninsula that contains the mainland regions of Denmark. What word from that king, the queen asks. The ambassador bows and says, Majesty, he sends warm regards, calls you his sister, and says he recognizes you as queen of all witches. And for that, he bids me to give you this crown. He regrets that he cannot join you now, but says that he speaks for all his cousins and brother kings in the north, and they promise that on the eve of battle, they will all meet you on whatever field you choose, and their armies will fight at your side. And she's just like, uh, I am honored to receive a pleasant a message and so beautiful a gift. Bring it closer that I might see it better. And this little guy, he won't look at her, no. right? He's no. like kind of averting his eyes from her as he presents this crown. I was wondering this panel where she just says, ah, uh, is she disappointed with that? You know, well, I that- think she, it's, it's more of a like, ah. Uh. Oh, uh, okay. I see. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Well, and she's, you know, she's, <laughs> I hate to say this, but I love her so much. <laughs> I think she's so great. I'm sorry. And as he gives her this crown, she's like, you made this? And he goes, I did, your majesty. And she says, look at me. And so he looks up at her and we get this middle panel of just uh. her eyes. 
This is so the well most done. Frightening. And I'm, yeah. you know, it takes a lot to have just an illustration that is right. going to actually frighten me. But this, it it gave me that cold feeling in my yeah. stomach of like, oh my God. And she says, you know who I am? And he just says, I do. And tears He's are like crying. streaming down his face. And she's like, good. Now take this thing and break it into pieces. Or better yet, hammer it into a knife to murder your king. Cut out his heart and cast it into your furnace so that the fire burns red. Then take your tools and make me a helmet. And just then the lantern that's in the tree kind of ignites and it sends the whole tree into flames, which just looks amazing behind her as her, you know, her eye, her red eyes Delivering and this red this cloak. fucking awesome, make it of iron in the shape of three ravens, carve <laughs> into it three names. It's yes. amazing. And so these three names, she says these three names, Babd, Macha, and Morgan... So all will know me, not queen of witches, but goddess of war. So I want to talk a little bit about these names. They all come from Irish mythology. Babd in Irish mythology, meaning crow, is a war goddess who takes the form of a crow and is thus sometimes known as battle crow. She is known to cause fear and confusion among soldiers to move the tide of battle to her favored side. Awesome. Macha, several figures called Macha appear in Irish mythology and folklore, all believed to derive from the same goddess. She is said to be one of three sisters known as the Three Morigana. Like other sovereignty goddesses, Macha is associated with land, fertility, kinship, war, and horses. And then Morrigan... The Morrigan is a figure from Irish mythology has been translated as Great Queen, Phantom Queen, or Queen of Phantoms. The Morrigan is mainly associated with war and fate, especially with the foretelling of doom, death, or victory in the battle. In this row, she often appears as a crow. She incites warriors to battle and can help bring about victory over her enemies. The Morgan encourages warriors to do brave deeds, strikes fear into their enemies, and is portrayed washing the bloodstained clothes of those fated to die. She also has some connection with sovereignty, the land, and livestock. In modern times, she is often called a war goddess, and she has also been seen as a manifestation of the earth and sovereignty goddess. The Morgan is often described as a trio of individuals, all sisters called the Three Morgana, and the membership of this triad varies depending on which version of the mythology you're reading, but there is one of the triads that I found that was Bobbed Macha, and Anand, who was later given another name for Morrigan. And then, um... It is believed that all these are names of the same goddess. So this version that she's talking about here is one of the variations of this triad, well, the three Morgana. The main would be another goddess yeah. of war right. in the trio. And so that's something that having that triple goddess to create this over goddess right is something that is so ancient and old it's it's one of the initial original ideas of all these various you know shamanic kind of polytheistic kind of tribal cultures and um i love the creators of the story are taking it to this level where it's not just some sort of folklore myth that we're reading in a very kind of, oh, and this happened and this was the story that people used to tell. Like, this is really fucking scary. Oh, yeah. Reading these pan- these couple of pages here is the scariest thing. It stirs your emotions. Right. It makes you feel something. And it's very intense in a way that is not, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel like it's supposed to be really mm. 
You know what I mean? I don't know how to describe it. It doesn't I, feel like it's supposed to be like, oh, this is the part where I'm supposed to feel like the oh, enemy is okay. really threatening. And this is the part where, you know, with some some things you read where it's just like, all right, I've got the bad guy here and the bad guy is bad. And, and they're going to say is, all their shit. This is yeah. something that is very like. I fucking love this character. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what it is, but well, I fucking it, love it. I think also a lot of times where they interweave these witch things or whatever into comics, a lot of times they're such bullshit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's just like whatever. And here they've just like all the historical fiction that has been done in a lot of these books, it's actually tied into the mythologies in a way where you're almost getting a historical fiction yeah. of the mythologies. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. But it's relevant it, to you because it makes you fucking feel something. Yeah, but it, it feels real. Yeah, Does it feels make, super real. It, it feels real. real because there is that level of detail where you can actually look this up like I did yeah. and go, oh, this is... It's breathing life yeah. into yes. this. Yes, yeah. Very kind of, oh, well, this is a folklore mythology and it's like, well, that could be a kind of a yawner or if you're telling it like this, it could be... Very fucking exciting. I was reading something else that said here that the Morgan is said to be the wife of the Dagda. Yeah, some, she, some she does have that role. Over here yeah. and over there, it's all kind of scattered. You know, so this character we're learning very quickly is associated with war and fate. She's the war goddess. And yeah. it's, um, yeah, really fucking intense. And stuff. this bottom panel, I just love, again, how this little guy is walking away with the crown. He's like crying. Oh, yeah. And then Grogok and the hedgehog are kind of bowing to her. I like the way that the hedgehog is bowing. He's kind of like... Yeah, yeah I was going to bring that up because I really like the way that this whole panel is laid out with the fire and the tree and the way that she's yeah. standing. Yeah. yeah, and then like how home dude's in the foreground with the with his tears down his eyes. Yeah, and, and I like that idea too of like, okay, now you're going to take this crown and you're going to make it into a knife. Yeah. And you're gonna kill your king with it. It's kind of like... It, I can hear her rage in these lines. Yeah. Like I can hear her being... So fucking full of rage, like her. This the panel with her eyes and like his face looking up at her, and she's just like, "Now take this thing yeah. and break it into pieces." And it's a very like, yeah, super fucking scary. Well, and even the way that she's posed in that panel right yeah. there kind of evokes that what you were just saying, yeah. Yeah. And uh, the fairy tree being on fire and all this stuff, and I don't know if I did I talk about the fairy tree. Mm, you said a witch tree earlier. Oh, okay. Well, it's the same kind of a deal. It's like a, it's a, it's it's a single tree that like stands out from other trees of its kind in the in that certain specific location by being like it'll be standing by itself in a center of a field or it's it's just really easy. It's like your eye is really drawn to it for whatever reason, and you know that that's mm. what that is. Right. It's just kind of a. I guess it's more of a superstition thing, but it is like a. It's a Celtic superstition, right? So it's like a. But you like know it when you see it. I like that right. they included that yeah. imagery here, as long as we're dealing with a Celtic folklore sure. tale or a, uh, whatever. And so it's kind of that they're um they're drawing this Arthurian legend stuff all together. They're yeah. trying to they're trying to find a way to make it all one cohesive yeah thing for their story, which I I think is really interesting that they're. Well, it's also nice that they're taking like you know the different. Um folklores from around like the whole great britain area and trying mm -hmm. to combine them into like one yeah kind of, sure um how everything kind of exists and, and also not just great britain you know, like 
also Russia and you know everywhere There's else. There's so much to draw yeah. from. Yeah. But they're like, why don't we just kind of take it all in and, yeah. and see what happens? And just kind of sort of make it all just, you know, one thing. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Starting on chapter six, with Morgan Le Fay in the castle, they talk and we learn that that horned armored figure that Hellboy fought in the last issue was Elagos, Duke of Hell, and the Order of the Fly. But after his defeat to Hellboy, he may be demoted, Morgan says. So Elagos, also known as the Great Duke of Hades, is a highly respected demon due to his deep knowledge of warfare. In modern military terms, he is a high-ranking general who not only understands the subtle strategies of warfare, but also has the ability to foresee an enemy's position and tactics ahead of the battle itself. He is often depicted as a warrior knight that rides on the back of a winged horse who is also a demon. The horse is commonly called the Steed of Abigor and was a gift to Alagos from Baal and was reanimated from one of the original horses from the Garden of Eden. That's pretty interesting. Hellboy asked about what Elagos said about collecting what's owed. Payment for powers granted by his master long ago, Morgan Le Fay says. And you don't pay your debts, so he was keeping you trapped here, so you needed me to get rid of him, Hellboy responds. You honestly believe a creature like that could hold me prisoner? I could have left at any time. Why didn't you, Hellboy asks. Because, Hellboy, Morgan Le Fay says, I've been waiting for you. I like how he totally calls her out for, like, not paying her debts. <laughs> yeah, and I was... <laughs> and so I was like, oh, so you didn't pay your debt and you want me to get rid of the guy. And so she says that that's not the reason. It's because she's waiting for him. Is that a crock of shit or what? Like, is, it's what a little you... column A, a little column B, probably. <laughs> And I also just want to mention this is really good pacing. As all this is going on, we're kind of going into the castle as they talk. And we finally just see them talking on this last panel. And I like how there's all these just like corpses hanging. I mean, they're hung. Right. All the knights or whatever. Yeah, they're yeah. they're all hung. And we kind of see that from the last issue where we just saw their legs hanging down. Hellboy asks why Morgan Le Fay greeted him with welcome home. Perhaps you prefer the house where you were born, and we get this red panel of hooks on chains, and we immediately remember the chain coffin, which occurred at East Bromwich, the place where Hellboy was summoned, shown in Seed of Destruction. So Hellboy carried himself as an American, but he was actually born in England. And remember how that Hobnoggins guy kept calling him an Englishman in the last episode. And I like how Morgan Le Fay, she offers Hellboy this cobweb-covered wine. He's like, no thanks. <laughs> Morgan Le Fay asks Hellboy if he knows who she is. It's been a while, but I remember the story. Well, si but the bird responds. Oh, yeah, yeah. She he, says, do you know goes, who I am? And, know the who bird, I <laughs> and the bird goes, Morgan Le Fay. Yeah, that's really cute. That's super cute. I love it. Hellboy says, it's been a while, but I remember the story. Half-sister of King Arthur and mother of his only son, Morgan Le Fay says, Mordred. So Mordred or Modred is a character in Arthurian legend based on a possibly historical figure. Mordred is commonly known as a notorious traitor who fought King Arthur at the Battle of Comlan, where he was killed and Arthur was fatally wounded. In the popular version, he is the bastard son of Arthur and Arthur's half-sister, Morgas. Morgan Le Fay says the two met at the Battle of Camlin where they killed each other. It's commonly believed that the Pendragon line ended there. And this Pendragon name, it, it is the epithet of Uther, father of Arthur in medieval and modern Arthurian literature and occasionally applied to the historical Welsh heroes in medieval Welsh poetry. But it's not true. Mordred had three bastard sons by a witch named Catherine of Gilfach, and I couldn't find a, a reference to that. 
A few of Arthur's knights who survived Camlin knew this, tracked the boys down, and put them to death. But there was also a daughter that they did not find. She grew up in hiding and eventually had a daughter of her own, and that daughter had a daughter, and that daughter had a daughter, and so on. And this little panel of this daughter, she looks yeah. very kind of sinister, whatever. So the Pendragon name was lost, but the royal bloodline continued, hidden behind other names. Dale, Hamilton, Talbot, an unbroken line of witches. To Sarah Hughes, your mother. And she points to this little ledger. She's got all the names written down in this book. What are you saying, Hellboy asks. She had three children, but only one still lives. And so remember, the other two children, they got killed by Azael, Hellboy's dad, in the chain coffin. Alice is like, wouldn't that make you? And Hellboy's like, don't say it. <laughs> Sarah Hughes, who used to fly to the Sabbath on the back of a demon in the shape of a goat, on Valpurgisnacht 1572, she married that demon. And though on her deathbed she repented all her evil deeds, died, was chained into her coffin, prayed over... That demon would not be denied his bride. And we get another flashback to the events of the chain coffin. And that very night she was taken down to hell where she delivered a son, first male descendant of Mordred, son of Arthur, rightful king of Britain. And Alice is like, holy crap. <laughs> I love that. How she leans over and she just kind of touches his arm and says that. It's a very good moment. And Hellboy remembers what Queen Mab told him. You are your father's son, but you also had a mother. Either way, you are bound to wear a crown. Morgan Le Fay says, you don't believe me? I'll show you. You know the story of King Vortigern's tower, no? Every day he had his masons working to build a tower on a certain hilltop, and every night the tower would fall. The child Merlin was sent for, and he explained that under the hill was a pool, and in it two dragons, one red, one white, and each night they would fight each other, shaking that day's work to the ground. The king had his men dig and, of course, found this to be true. Merlin said the red dragon was Britain, the white one was the Saxons. He prophesied that the white would conquer the red, but that one day Arthur would come to set things right again. And he did. And to the end of his days, Arthur's banner was always a red dragon. This story comes from the Historia Regum Brita, or the History of the Kings of Britain, a pseudo-historical account of British history, written about 1136 by Geoffrey of Monmouth. It chronicles the lives of the kings of the Britons over the course of 2,000 years, and it mentions the story of the tower that Morgan Le Fay tells. However, the existence of King Vortigern is nonetheless contested by scholars, and information about him is obscure. Alice waits while Morgan Le Fay goes to show Hellboy something that is for him alone. Hellboy, you already know, don't you? And Hellboy's like, I'm going to have to see it. <laughs> and she leads him into this doorway, and it's surrounded by this depiction of King Arthur. And this specific depiction is a tribute to the Nine Heroes tapestries. I couldn't find a specific artist credit for the tapestry, but it is dated to the 1400s. And the repeated arms of John Duke of Berry on the tapestry suggest that he commissioned the set. And we haven't talked about King Arthur at all. A legendary British leader who, according to medieval histories and romances, led the defense of Britain against Saxons invaders in the late 5th and early 6th centuries. The details of Arthur's story are mainly composed of folklore and literary invention, and his historical existence is debated and disputed by modern historians. All, all of that has clearly become this, this very, uh, it's sort of this over-myth now in specific cultures, like American culture, obviously, because we are basically a British colony gone gone right. mad and uh 
you know, of, of course, it's it's kind of hard to avoid the King Arthur myth in in a lot of cultures um, because it's this again a very archetypal kind right. of a thing, and it's it's blown way way out of proportion at this point into this very mythical you know kind of a thing. It's almost like you know the legend of Thor. Right. It's this messianic. Oh, yeah. He's yeah. this messianic kind of a figure of sent from heaven to deliver the the normies from the baddies and it's just you know it's a very dramatic and fun series of tales of knights and the round table and it's been told and retold hundreds of thousands of times in modern media and so i I think it'd be hard to even avoid knowing about that stuff even on a very superficial level but yeah, you're right. I mean, they they just had another King Arthur movie come out yeah. recently. Yeah. Uh, who knows? What's who a know? good one to watch? Excalibur. I've never Excalibur and maybe the Disney Sword of the Stone. <laughs> okay, I heard. I've always heard a Knight's Tale. A Knight's we wanted Tale. to see that one. Is does that one suck or what? I don't know. I haven't seen Ka- any of these movies. Kathy likes a Knight's Tale, but I don't know. I have this. I have this thing about using rock music and. Um, oh, they <laughs> they use rock music and yeah. I haven't seen it. A friend of ours was uh, saying we should watch First Night. The one with Richard Gere. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how many different King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table kind of things have there been? Like a lot, right? Monty fucking Python did it. Tell us, uh, listeners, tell us which one we should watch. I want to watch something about. I don't know anything about. There's so many different ones. I I think Excalibur is a really good one. The one that came out in the '80s, but then again. I saw it when I was like nine or ten, so I do have that. Nost- I'm looking right. through, through the nostalgia lens. Wasn't there one with oh my god, what is his name? I love this actor. Here we go. It's time to play. Danielle doesn't know <laughs> no, any actors' let's names. Not play that yeah, game. no, he's in Jurassic Park. He's he played uh, Doctor Grant. Sam Neill. Sam Neill. Fucking love Sam Neill so much. I knew that that was his name. I'm just very bad with names. What? Uh, Which one is he in? He was in a thing. <laughs> okay, I it's so vague to me because I didn't. I don't think I actually watched it, but I, like there was part of it was on someone's TV once when I was at their house. It's like a dream. Maybe I dreamed this, but it was like Merlin when he was younger and not an old man. Oh yeah, okay. and oh, yeah. he's dealing with Morgan Le Fay and or okay. Morgan or whoever. And yeah, it's like a whole thing. Yeah, that that's another thing. They also there's like. There's a couple of different Merlin there's, ones for sure. Yeah, there's Merlin, there's King Arthur, there's Lancelot, there's Guinevere, there's yeah. TV, there's cartoons, there's... King Arthur even comes out in the Gargoyles cartoon. The Gargoyles, <laughs> sure. So it's like, you know, it's hard to avoid this myth. It's like yeah. Thor. It's, yeah. it's, you know, everyone's yeah. got their own Thor. But the thing I like the most about King Arthur myth is Excalibur. Yeah. <laughs> the sword, <laughs> The sure. sword, hell yeah, I just love the sword. And he either took it from a stone or got it from the lady in the lake, depending on which. Or both. Right. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's both. Oh, Sometimes yeah. the lady in the lake is like, hey, take it out of the stone. You right. Yeah. He's all like, oh, you took it out of the stone, but then you lost it. Now the lady in the lake it gets it you. back to you. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And uh, I want this back. I got, you know, hold, you know I have my receipt. No. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to the story. This is so cool as Morgan Le Fay opens these doors. Hellboy enters another realm. The color palette changes from this cold castle to this beautiful outside scenic view. There's these like deer, whatever, stag out there. And there's like these little petals falling. It's just very beautiful. We see Excalibur. Morgan Le Fay says, You've carried a gun, but you've always felt more natural holding a sword. 
And we talked about this all the way back in Wake the Devil when yeah. Hellboy took this broken sword to stab at the harpies in Jurescu. And he also inadvertently used a sword to kill the dragon in Nature of the Beast. And we should also probably talk about Excalibur or Caliburn, a legendary sword of King Arthur, sometimes also attributed with magical powers or associated with the rightful sovereignty of Britain. Excalibur and the Sword of the Stone... The proof of Arthur's lineage are sometimes said to be the same weapon, and sometimes they're considered separate. Um, I've never heard that. I've always heard that it's the same sword. Robert de Boron's Merlin is the first tale to mention the Sword of the Stone motif. Arthur obtained the British throne by pulling a sword from an anvil sitting atop a stone that appeared in a churchyard on Christmas Eve. Wasn't Hellboy born on Christmas Eve? In this account, the act could not be performed except by the true king, meaning the divinely appointed king or true heir of Uther Pendragon. This really sounds like Thor now because of the hammer that only he can wield because of the power of the gods or whatever. It's going to really sound like Thor here as Mallory writes, Whoso pulleth out this sword of this stone and anvil is rightwise king born. I mean, how much of that did they get from the Vikings? The like- sword is thought by many to be the famous Excalibur, and its identity is made explicit in the later prose Merlin, part of the Lancelot Grail cycle. And I wonder how much of that is like traded back and forth too in culture because right, like, yeah. the Marvel movie had Anthony Hopkins saying pretty much that exact yeah. phrase. <laughs> yeah. But that was probably borrowed from the Excalibur thing. But that was probably borrowed <laughs> from Thor in the first place. Yeah. So like how much of this is just going round and round. Yeah, and Hellboy's whole right hand of doom yeah. is a very kind of yeah. Thor kind of oh, he's yeah. got a hammer in Absolutely. his right hand, you know, literally. And he's got a sword in the yeah. right hand of Doom. In the stone. It's, kind of a- it's a sword in the <laughs> what the heck is going on? But uh, I, I like the idea of a messianic figure being a literal devil. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Oh, yeah. How they're they're merging these two ideas of like, he's from hell. He's a hell boy. He's got horns and hooves and he's red and he's scary. And then also he is Jesus, your Lord. It's kind of like. Yeah. And remember, um, I was going to talk about this later, but. Your in, in the last episode, right before the wild hunt turned on him, they said, uh, "Oh yeah, didn't they say something about?" They said, "We know what you are. The <laughs> devil will never sit on the throne, or yeah. something." I wrote it down. In the here. devil will never yeah. sit on the throne as the king of England, or what was the exact quote? No, something like that for sure. But yeah, I mean, it, it, they made that. On the it made throne that of scene, England, on the it made the that. It made that scene. When seeing this, made that scene make more sense. Oh yeah, yeah. definitely gave it some context yeah. for sure. Like, why would he want to be the king of England? What are you talking about? <laughs> that didn't seem high on well, his priority and Hel- list. And when they stat, when they say that, and they stab him, Hellboy even goes, "What the hell?" Yeah. he's like, "What the heck is going know. on?" Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I um, I really like the design of Excalibur in this because you see, like through movies and all that, like Excalibur, uh, the sword is always portrayed as like a long sword, um, oh, okay. and swords like that really weren't made oh. um, at that time. And they, this this the design fits more with the kind of time period that Arthur would really be in. Oh. And okay. it's got more of a Roman short sword design to it. Interesting. Oh, um, I like that. So you're yeah. talking about it from an. Uh... From from the standpoint of it not being um, anachronistic, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I like that. I, I'm always about that. I mean, it, it, it's just kind of cool because I mean, don't get me wrong. I, it's know. got kind of a Mignola feel to it on the hilt, though. Yeah. Oh I yeah. Like. I, yeah. I like that. And I just love this panel of Hellboy just sitting on this little bench Aww. in front of it, 
Morgan Le Fay says, you feel it, draw that sword out, and your army will come. And Hellboy's like, no way, and we get another panel of these hung knights, so that I guess that's the dead army waiting for the king of Britain. Yeah, he's figured it out immediately. You died and live again, so the noble dead of Britain will come again to follow their king, Morgan Le Fay says. The elves who once would have fought this war are gone now, or turned to her side. It will be settled on distant fields, and men will never know of it unless you fail. So is she talking about, like, it's going to be in another dimension that people can't really see? Right. This is like this battle that Hellboy is getting ready to fight that he needs his army for. Yeah, it's like in this fairy world. Yeah. 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 Then all will live her nightmare of blood till none live at all. Who is she, Hellboy asks. Nimu, sometimes called Vivian, who charmed Merlin and stole his secrets, used them against him and entombed him alive. She gained great powers to hear and understand the voices of all things of the earth and spirits in the air. But one voice she heard louder than all others, the dragon. And we get this shot of the Ogdred Jihad. Not the red dragon of Britain, but the soul-destroying black dragon from the beginning of the world. And she's standing there. It's got this vortex of curvy crackle. And it's like this huge, the foreshortening of the horrible... Cocoons. Yeah, and and they're gigantic. And and she's standing there in the wind. And it's like this very tilted kind of, uh, you know, when they tilt the camera angle. Oh, yeah, yeah. To portray something that's very, you know, intense and dramatic. Right. And anyway. It's also interesting that she said that she um, she stole Charm Merlin and stole his secrets and entombed him alive. That That's a legend I've always um, heard uh, associated with Morgan Le Fay. Hmm. So it's kind of interesting that they shift yeah. that over from her to That's to what I'm her. saying is that they split yeah. They split this character. Oh, it falls right in line with what yeah, we're talking about. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It drove her mad, and the other witches turned against her, killed her. She was cut to pieces, and those pieces scattered, but they would not stay separated. And we see this arm, like, crawling along, Uh, like, you know. I really like that. So finally, her parts were put into a box and buried in a secret place. But now she's free and whole again and still mad. And I want to talk a little bit about this, because we've talked about this a lot already. Nimu is one of the names of the Lady of the Lake, in medieval times, the Lady of the Lake began appearing in the French chivalric romances by the early 13th century, becoming Lancelot's fairy godmother like foster mother. The Lancelot Grail cycle provided a backstory for the Lady of the Lake, Vivian. She refuses to give Merlin her love until he has taught her all his secrets, after which she uses her power to trap him forever. Originally, either in the trunk of a hawthorn tree or beneath a stone. Pulse Vulgate's first Lady of the Lake is called Ninian, and her story is nearly identical to the one in the Lancelot Grail. Another unnamed Lady of the Lake appears to bestow the magic sword Excalibur to Arthur, and Sir Thomas Mallory also uses both Ladies of the Lake in his Le Morth Arthur, or The Death of Arthur. He leaves the first one unnamed, and he calls the second one Nimu. Hmm. And so I like this this idea of a different version of the Lady of the Lake, too. You know, when she got Merlin's powers, it drove her mad, you know, and all this stuff um, because of the Ogdruja hat and just fits really well with all this. Morgan Le Fay says, now she calls herself a goddess of war, but her war was no object other than the spilling of blood. All blood. Nothing but blood. 
and we get this flashback hellboy's like looking at the sword and he's thinking about when he killed all those giants and we get this gruesome depiction of all of it happening of him just hacking away all their heads and arms and everything their bodies just tumble as he's just getting like bathed in their blood and and his horns start to grow out and all that stuff it just looks really cool and he's just looking at the sword for in the end the moon will be as blood and the seas boil and the lands burn and we just see this awesome beast of apocalypse version of hellboy um, where he's holding this sword and he's got the flame crown and everything it just looks so cool then i saw another beast which rose out of the earth it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon it spoke great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of. In the middle of this kind of vision, he also, it shows that event from the first part of the Wild Hunt after he killed the giants and he kind of realizes what he does. And so we see a little flashback in that moment he broke the horns off again. It deceives those who are dwelling on earth, bidding them. And this is from Revelation. The rest of this excerpt would continue bidding them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Morgan Le Fay tells Hellboy, take the sword, your army will come, and you'll save your people. Now Hellboy's city with Morgan Le Fay, but the scenery is very different. Like the gravity of this reveal has taken out all the color, you know, and now Morgan Le Fay is just a skeleton. I thought that this was a really cool yeah, transition here. Yeah. What do you care what happens to this world anymore? What's in it for you, Hellboy asks. My son should have been king, Morgan Le Fay says. You will be. And we get this like mood shot kind of of Arthur in the middle. I really like that middle panel. And Hellboy just seems so dejected by this whole thing. Like, I just really like the, this idea of, you know, like in the mythology, you want to be able to pull that out of there. The whole yeah. thing is like, can I do this, you know? And yeah. will I be able to, and this and that. And even in the Thor, yeah. you know, mythology, yeah. it's kind of like that. But here it's like, you know that you probably can. Everyone's telling you you can, but you don't want to. Yeah, no. It's just the of gravity of all Why would you want yeah. to? Poor it, guy. He just wants to eat pancakes and... <laughs> hang out. chicken. Hang out, yeah, hang out. It actually, it made, it's making me think about what we were talking about earlier today when you are saying like, uh, the difference between like, are you going to be able to stand up and do the right thing, right. or are you going to be you know the guy hiding in the back? Yeah. And so this is like, this is Hellboy's choice. Mm -hmm. This is like, is he going to stand up, or is he not? Is he? Or is he think like, he's thinking like, do I have to do all this horrible shit? Is that really necessary? Like, right. isn't that the wrong way? You know. And so I feel like maybe part of him is thinking, Ugh, all this violence, and I have to do the like hell armies and like come on do i have to deal with any of that you know and so yeah that's point well yeah. taken aubrey that's a good that's a good point and so uh, the issue ends with hellboy sitting there in front of the sword in the stone and then when the next issue picks up he's walking away from it you know he's walking back out through the way he went he's remembering everything that was said that he's the the first male descendant of mordred son of arthur and I like this panel of the Queen of Blood sitting there. The fire from that witch tree has gone out, and she's just sitting there in all the smoke of it. Hellboy comes to check on Alice, and he sees Vasilisa sitting there at her bedside. He's really startled to see her. It's good to see her again. I was startled to see her. Yeah, and yeah. she says, be careful. 
which I thought was like super creepy yeah. and just ominous. You're just like, Ugh, I don't like that. That would be another uh, little drawing thing. Oh, you yeah, there you go. If you want to draw a little interesting character. The skull staff from the Baba Yaga house. Oh, I love that. Alice wakes. Hellboy, what's the matter? Nothing, he says. I thought I saw something, but no. Like, I thought this was interesting because Hellboy's still the same. Like, remember, he doesn't tell anybody all this shit. Like, when he sees weird things or he sees ghosts or he has these weird visions, he doesn't like to tell people about it. And so here, even Alice, he tells her nothing, that he didn't see anything. Alice knows Morgan Le Fay showed Hellboy Excalibur and asked Hellboy why he didn't take it. I don't know. For one thing, it was stuck in a big floating rock. (laughs) Alice says Hellboy knows he could have pulled it out. There's another reason. Something bad happened to you before you got here. What was it? You can tell me, Alice says. Nothing happened, Hellboy says. And there's just kind of this beat where they look at each other. Alice says it's going to be all right. She had a dream while he was gone. I was in a cave and it was filled with soldiers and they'd been there hundreds of years, but they weren't dead. They were just waiting. And King Arthur was there. He told me that my life was bound to his sword and that I'd be the first to see the new king with his crown. And we get this awesome. So that's the same image that we saw in part one. But this time, instead of the skeleton in the middle, it's King Arthur. And you guys totally alluded to all yeah. this when we first saw it. I really liked that, too. I didn't want to say anything at the time. Right. But you guys just kept bringing up King Arthur and all this <laughs> stuff. And Aubrey was like, yeah, that's what made me think of. It made me think of Excalibur. And I was like, oh, this is uh, so cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I just, And this is very minor, but the whole they're not dead, they're just waiting kind of yeah. thing is just carried over from that initial. Yeah. It's a, it's a flavor that the whole... Under the, everyone under the Mignola umbrella, the right. Mignolaverse umbrella here that's working on these stories is is always kind of this just remains throughout yeah. every story. This like oh well, they're not dead; they're just sleeping. They're waiting for their right. time. Yeah, it carries over from this whole. Yeah, and I, I like that you bring that up because it's both sides too, right? It's yeah. not just the Ogdruham. There's yeah. also yes knights and you know positive forces i guess that are waiting also and like aubrey you were saying i mean this that kind of thing carries over to so many different stories like tolkien and oh yeah uh, oh yeah all these other whatever yeah because I mean, it definitely has that feel of like when aragorn went to go sure. get, get his dead army yeah. or and alice says that the new king will be hellboy that thing mab said about you being sent to destroy the world even if it is true this will fix that you'll take that sword and an army will come and everything will be all right. And she just kind of hugs Hellboy, but he just kind of stares. Like, to, yeah. I love his face right there. He's just, he's not comforted, it doesn't seem. Like, uh, no. I like her faith in him, though. Yeah. You know, she. You can just kind of see it. Like, she's like, you know, if you take that sword, everything's going to be all right. And even though Hellboy's like, no, no, right. no, it's Yeah, not. it's almost a childlike yeah. kind of a yeah. innocent view of things, of like the fairy tale thing right. yeah. being that's, and he's just kind of thinking like, it's not going to be that right. way. Yeah. yeah. Later, it's night, and I just love this one panel at the bottom where it's night, and you just see the castle, and Hellboy hears howling outside, and he kind of walks through the hallway looking for it. There's a little mood shot of the chess pieces. Yeah, I like that a lot. Super creepy. What is that, he says? The Wild Hunt, and Astaroth appears oh, behind him. Oh, that's their boy. Asty boy. <laughs> The hounds are howling for blood. They smell the war that's coming. 
you know, wolves. Yeah, I like these ghost wolves. I like the way that Duncan draws these. Yeah. You know who rides at the head of the wild hunt? Some say it's Odin or Hearn or Od Headless King Vold. And so we we yeah. learned about King Vold in that short story. Hellboy yeah. says, some say it's the devil. Satan? No, Astaroth says. He sleeps for almost 2,000 years now in a pit under his great city, Pandemonium. Whoa. And we get one shot of this city of Pandemonium in hell. Yeah. Ugh. One day you'll go there, Astaroth says. I doubt it, Hellboy responds. You will. You'll go down into that hole and you'll find him and kill him while he sleeps. Then you'll go up into the city and throw down all his princes and generals and claim that crown that waits for you there. No, Hellboy says. You will. And then in Hellboy's reflection, so in the previous page, he was looking in this mirror and then kind of the shape of him in the mirror starts to kind of transform and it turns into this Beast of Apocalypse version of Hellboy. And this version says, I will. Then you'll take up your father's sword and realize the dream he had for you. On the day you were born, he gave you that hand. And that hand is the only thing that can breathe life into that army. And that army is the only thing that can break down the walls of hell. He created you to set free all those enslaved in hell and make for them a new paradise on earth. We get this awesome Beast of Apocalypse version of Hellboy with the horns and the sword. And I, I really like the way... Just across all the books, the way they draw dragons. Yeah. It's yeah. a very kind of different version of a dragon. And just everything's on fire. This dragon <laughs> is kind of destroying all the Jeez. buildings on Earth. And we see this kind of hell army. So there's this kind I of weird... I always love the floating uh, flame crown yeah, motif. Yeah. So there's so much to say about this. So one, like there's kind of a dual thing here, right? Because it's kind of like take up the sword and you'll have Britain's army, but then go down into hell and you'll have hell's army. So he's almost, he's got these two, you know, he has two armies on either side. And then the other thing this reminded me of is when Hellboy went into that fun house when he was a little boy in the Midnight Circus. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. There he was also haunted by Astaroth and he looked in those fun house mirrors, mirrors and saw Absolutely. this same Beast of Apocalypse version of Hellboy. That's a good parallel. Yeah. Yeah. And it's um it's interesting that this ends up being the it's the timeless choice in us we all have right. an angel and a demon and we're all have to choose between what choices to make are we gonna live a life of good is it gonna be bad and it's it's never really that black and white and um and and Hellboy really personifies that and it's it's something that's always been kind of like you know the reality of of his experiences is always like well it's a little it's a little bit of a gray area actually it's kind of here and there so right i like that yeah and we learn a little bit more about what he's supposed to do there this whole thing that he's gonna kill satan and he's gonna kill all the princes and the generals and he's yeah. gonna take all the enslaved demons and it's bring, really and, intense there's so much action yeah. going all these demons and right. fire and then all these knights are like oh call your army set us free and it's a whole yeah jeez the stakes it, are so high. well and he also remembers that little demon that says remember me when you come to your kingdom like that little mm -hmm. guy told him that earlier yeah and all this kind of stuff and all these different voices and Hellboy's just like ah he just screams out and he's like oh no way no goddamn way and this beast of apocalypse version kind of comes out of the Hellboy. mirror yeah yeah you gotta fight your shadow self literally this very Jungian 
archetype thing is yeah to the ultimate level and we get right hand of doom boom 28 against his evil imaginary beast of apocalypse version and so he just they just have this this giant fight through the castle who the hell needs a goddamn sword anyway hellboy says as he punches this other version (laughs) you do morgan lefay is right astros says you must take arthur's sword it is the only way to prevent nimu's holocaust of blood do it save the world the rest will play out as it will in its own time why fight it what's gained by refusing to accept your place in the scheme of things what's lost as this goes on it's just like getting crazier and crazier hellboy fights this other version and it looks like this other version gets bigger too right yeah it's kind of growing in size it reminds me of the mole remember in the mole when that little thing Mm -hmm. came out and it just got really big well and his teeth are changing and he's kind of morphing yeah and just awesome work i mean i don't know what else you can say just great work by Figredo as he makes this hulking kind of demon. And as they fight, the castle is just going up in flames. We can see that everything's getting wrecked. And Astaroth asks, who do you think you're fighting? It's only you. And there's this reveal that it's just been him this whole time that is so fucked up. And everything's been destroyed. The entire castle is smoldering in smoke. So did he did he have some kind of like a Liz thing happen where he exploded this whole castle? Like how did he Where do these flames materialize? Yeah, from? I don't know. Yeah. And Hellboy's just like, holy crap, what did I do? And he calls out for Alice. Yeah, so I mean, I guess I I wanna come back to I wanna come back to this. Sure, yeah. We'll we'll talk about it again. Chapter eight. Hellboy searches for Alice in the now burned castle. And he find he goes into her room and he finds that she's a burn skeleton. Ah. This reveal is so chilling. Yeah. And he just sits at the bedside and he remembers her asking him why she didn't take the sword as smoke comes out of her skull and everything. That is so fucked uh-huh. up. Vasilisa reappears and she says it's a good question. Morgan Le Fay, Hellboy says, she's a witch or worse. If half of what the old stories say about her is true, she seduced King Arthur, her own brother tried to murder him, raised her son to kill him and steal his kingdom. She wants me to get the sword. That means there's got to be something in it for her. That's not it, Vasilisa says. That's not why you didn't take it. You're right, Hellboy says. On the way to Alice's place, I ran into a bunch of giants. It almost looks like he's going to cry there. Yeah, and um, he also broke the horns off again. Yeah. You can see that they've been freshly kind of broken. They're so jagged. But he oh, looks, I he was looks... going to point that out, too. Yeah. 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 He looks just very upset telling her this. Yeah. He, yeah. When he's admi- like, he's finally saying what yeah, happened. He, he, I, when he said, he, I ran into a bunch of giants, that's the first time he's articulating that to another person. Right. So he looks like he's about to cry. I could have walked right past them, but I picked a fight, and I got slapped around pretty good till I got mad. Then I grabbed a piece of broken sword and I went nuts. I cut them all to pieces and I loved it. What the hell does that say about me? If swinging that crappy busted chunk of metal made me lose control like that, what the hell would happen if I had that sword? And we get this amazing page yeah. here. It's like a and montage. It, yeah. We see Rasputin, Astroth, the Bog Rouge, Hecate, Queen Mab, and Azeo, Hellboy's dad, and they're all telling him what they believe his destiny to be. That he was, like, sent to destroy the world, yeah. and he's going to cause all the ruin, and, oh, you got to stand beside me. Oh, you got to get your father's sword. You can't right. escape it. It's your destiny. You're a 
The Great Beast, Anung on Rama. Yeah, and I just love Duncan's versions of all these characters. So good. It's just one of my favorite panels as oh, yeah. Hellboy's kind of remembering all the things that, that were told to him. This page is amazing. <laughs> and I love this question that Vasilisa asked. She says, you're so ready to believe all the bad things said about you. Why can't you believe what she believed? Forget armies and saving the world. She knew you. She believed the sword would save you. She believed you were worth saving. And we get this image of Alice there when they were sitting in the field. That is a good point, though. Um, I'm glad you pointed that out because that's something that I, mean, I don't want to speak for anyone else here, but I know that I've struggled with like I could get 20 compliments. Right. And then yeah. one kind of, well, kind of a co comment that's not all that great and i would just focus on that i would be sure. laser focused on that one negative thing yeah i think said about me I, I think we're all like that i think so. we all tend oh, yeah. to kind of overlook a lot of the positive things and only focus on the negative and um i just really like this part a lot and she's asking like why does that negative thing carry so much more weight than yes. all these positive things so right. like why you know what i mean and so that's something that's like you can choose to imbue this with power or you can choose to imbue this with power and we're choosing to imbue these negative thoughts oh. instead of like well you have just as many comments that are positive right. why aren't you focusing on that why, why doesn't that carry weight with you you know why doesn't that carry any weight and so that's that's a really good point it's interesting and just a really beautiful page as hellboy turns around and he sees excalibur again in the stone from elsewhere i love the pool of water yeah the lighting I mean, there's no like. Oh, yeah. Like, no, it's kind of glowing. Dave You're right. Stewart. Dave Stewart. Yeah. I don't know how he did it, but it looks amazing. And I love all these from elsewhere. Queen Mab watches with Dagda's owl. That's the owl that Yay. Dagda always had. Mm -hmm. I love and one of the Doina She. Dagda recognized him, she says. Poor old man, the Doina She says. He should have lived to see this. Sir Edward Gray and Mothlomi, they also watch Hellboy. He has come a long way, Sir Edward says. It's true, Mothlomi responds. And we also see the Baba Yaga with Koku and the Russian version of Death. They're all watching this too. And all of Baba Yaga's lights are out in the tree, you know, because she yeah. used all her power and darkness calls. And I just love all this, how all these figures are watching yeah, this, we get all this amazing everybody. thing happen as Hellboy's walking up to the Sword of the Stone. We see these witches watching Hellboy from their cauldron. Heaven and hell, human king. And I just love this page, too, as he's grabbing the the sword handle and this kind of, again, we get this kind of mood shot. We've been seeing this pop up a, a lot a couple times, this image of King Arthur. Mm -hmm. And Hellboy pulls the sword from the stone. So, okay, did you guys see any of this coming? Did you, I mean... I mean... <laughs> no, no. No? <laughs> did you had This hadn't been spoiled for you guys at all? No. No. That's awesome. That's great. Yeah, because this totally... I did not see this coming at all um, when I read this. It was a, it was a big reveal. Excalibur. Yeah, and I didn't... And I, at first, I didn't know what to think of it. I was like, this is kind of weird, right? Or I don't know, you know, but... And I that just think sword's it's so name awesome. was Excalibur. Yeah, <laughs> I like what Hellboy just says, "Son of a." Yeah, as it comes out, <laughs> and so there's mad. a and there's a great sound effect too. And suddenly he wakes up. He's with Alice in the woods before they ran into that hobnoggins guy, and he's so startled to see her. I love this panel where he turns around and he kind of sees her, the expression on his face. Well, that was weird, Alice says. Did I fall asleep? I remember waiting for Queen Mab, and I think I remember her coming, but it's all a blur after that, and Hellboy just hugs her. 
Come here, he says. And she's like, hey, watch it. And he holds the sword with his tail. Yeah, I was going to say, I like that. Oh, yeah, it's while really he hugs cute. her. That is yeah. so great. What a nice little detail there. You're okay, Hellboy says. So are you, Alice responds. So this is what I wanted to talk about. Was that, was all that other stuff a trick from yeah. Astaroth? Yes. Just like what happened kind of in the Midnight Circus when he saw Broom as Geppetto and all yeah. that stuff, remember? It's magic. They tricked him. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to... I guess trying to figure out like how much of that was real, you know, because he's got the sword though. Yeah. Like how much of that was was well, it I real? Mean, was it real up until he fought himself? I don't know. It was probably the way. I think it's both. I think it was both real and not real at the yes. same time. Yes. Wow. Because you know, I mean, it's just like because um, fairy oh, magic. There's that one line. Is just like you know, just be, something like you know, just because it's not real doesn't mean it didn't happen. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Or something like Parallel that. Parallel Elseworlds. And at the chess table, Morgan Le Fay sits. She's got these white skeleton soldiers on one side, black skeleton soldiers on another, and a red king in the middle. Now we'll see, she says. That is not how chess works. Yeah. Well, I mean, is it? it no, I don't know it's if it's not. chess I'm just or. Being, yeah. It's not exactly chess. It's no, kind of like it's she's one got of those all these. things that you got the table full of the armies and you, you move go. them around and it's. What uh, is that so, called? Uh, a map? There you go. <laughs> no, it's like a battle strategy yeah. thing. It's Kinda mostly like, for show. We got my guys here, got your guys here, and then I got to put my We're going to move here, it here, and yeah. And you guys are going to go over here to this little fortress. Sure. This, this great right. piece of fortress. No. <laughs> it's basically just a way to explain to the audience that yeah. people are fighting and all the, something's going to happen. All the players happen. are all on the table. Yeah, there you go. But And you guys both talked about how they kind of split this character. Yes. Is this it? Because they kind of talk to each other, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. Right here. I think they're two halves of the same whole. Right. Nimu talks to Morgan. What are you playing at, she asks. You think that sword will make a difference? Let him raise his army. Let him come against, let him come against me if he dares. He'll find swords sharper and keener to drink blood. And Nimu says, only my army's not come yet. Soon, soon, but not yet. And Gragok, he butts in and he says that this is the time to change him, to make him strong again. Let me kill him for you. Now, Gragok says. Give me back my... Oh, you can't do that. You don't have the power to do it, Gragok says to Nimu. But it's kind of a realization as he's saying it. He's like, just... He's yeah. he doesn't he's like, make me strong again so I can serve you. I'd do it right now and just give me back my... And she's like looking at him. And he's, he kind of goes, oh, you can't. Right. You don't have the power to do it. And that fucking enrages yes. her. She just flips the fuck out. No, no, please forgive me, Grogok says. I didn't mean it. Serve me, Nimu exclaims. Better a hedgehog to serve me. A hundred times better than a faithless pig. And this panel as she explodes and, yeah, and anger is, is really amazing. Holding up his hands and turning away like he can't even look it's so her fury is so strong and he's crying he's yeah. got tears running down his face and she smacks him away my queen please grogok begs and i like this effect there's like an explosion and then suddenly he's it's not daytime there daytime in the grassy yeah. hill and right there's no one else there but him and he, he just sulks and cries and walks off oh the, his face just tears just uh, have you ever cried so hard that literally tears right. are just dripping off your face and just running? It's not running out and of your he's, nose. He's just like you said. He's just so dejected, and his the, his body language is just fucking ugh. And this is one of those. I mean, 
I was just like, why did he say that? Like, I didn't like this part. I was like, no, it's I I don't want this to happen to this character. And I I know it's just, you know, a character and he's one of the bad guys. And, you know, it's this we've 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 talked about this so many times how you you get sympathy for these characters. And, you know, I kind of want to see him. Yeah. Be his glory version. I want to see that big monster Gragak again and him to be able to serve this new queen. He was the elf. yeah, but no, but remember when he turned into that big monster version? That I he... thought that he wanted to be the elf king again. Well, I think he just wants his power back so he could do be the elf right, and turn yeah. into the monster. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I'm just saying I want to see that monster oh, again. Oh, you want to see that I cool want, monster I wanted again. to see that right, cool right. monster. I want to see Duncan draw that cool monster but that again. But that was his powers is that he could change into whatever yeah, he wanted. Yeah, he could right? change and into whatever. The giant beast mode was him. Like, and like... Yeah. yeah, you you were you touched on this earlier, but like I want to see yeah. something good for this character in a weird way, and here is just like I did not like this scene. I was I was just kind of disappointed. I was like, dang it, you know. And I felt really bad. For there him. are th- th- there are you know story reasons why all these things happen, I guess. But I was just like bummed the, for this scene. Uh, well, yeah, I don't know why he would say that. Like, it, it's it's it seemed like you know like. Now that Hellboy has the sword, and he's like, "Now is the time to make me whole." And then he just kind of looks and goes, "Oh, you can't do it." He's like, he all of a sudden comes to a realization that what he worked right. for to get her out and to make her this and to unleash this hell that she's about to unleash, also he can get his power back. And then all of a sudden he realizes, like, "Oh, she can't." Right. And then he says it out loud, and then he realizes, "Oh shit, I should have kept my mouth shut." Right. Because he lost he lost his faith, and you can see that oh, in him. Yeah, and she just fucking unloaded on him. Of course, you know it's just like yeah, I, I was surprised that that's what happened with the character because I was expecting to see right or I guess not. Well, I guess I shouldn't expect things right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, it's like that Hagrid meme. What's that Hagrid meme where he's like? Nope, shouldn't have said that or oh, something, yeah. right? <laughs> nope, shouldn't have said that. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that is, but I, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, this this scene with him really upset me because yeah. I, I inevitably I just see so much in this character that I, I just want the world for him. I really feel I don't know what it is. I just feel like oh come on man. Yeah, back with Hellboy and Alice, who's still alive. I, he's finally telling his crazy stories. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. what I got from this is like, now he's finally telling, she's like, oh, so I was sleeping, getting poisoned by a fairy arrow. Morgan Le Fay, half-sister of King Arthur, took you for a walk, showed you Excalibur floating in a pond, and you pulled it out. Simple as that. And he's like, pretty much. And I like how he's swinging the yeah, sword around and stuff like that. It. And now you're supposed to raise an army? The noble dead of Britain, Hellboy says. I don't like the sound of that, Alice says. Neither do I. And how do you even go about doing that? No idea, Hellboy says. And now you're the king of Britain? Yep. Well, I didn't see that coming. And I think it's kind of speaking for everybody, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yep. And I like how the color palette changes. This very last panel is like this orange because we pull back in the Osiris Club or watching all this from the crystal ball. And these Osiris guys, they don't know what to do with this information, yeah. right? They certainly didn't see it coming. They're like, oh, dear. Do your little, do your thing. Ew, dear. <laughs> I found this scene kind of pointless because, like, who is keeping track of these guys? Literally no one. I'm not. 
I'm not keeping track of how many or who it right. is. They all look exactly the same to me. Well, and yeah, this is kind of an interesting scene. So they all exclaim, Excalibur, it's not possible. And one of them gets on the phone. They're going to call the prime minister. And they're immediately shot. Blam, blam. You Lord guys are Hamilton, <laughs> Well, I, I like that his first thought is to call the prime minister because I mean, he, because he's now supposed to be the king of Britain. Right. Um, oh, right. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, Britain's got, you know, they got. Right. Um, but I mean, I feel like it's like, what? You, well, I mean, to call the prime minister because of Excalibur. Is that really something the prime minister is going to take that call seriously? Or is he going to the- hang up on you? Like, <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess it really depends on, uh, I guess, who it is. Maybe the prime minister has an office out there looking for the somebody who Oh, happens. sure. Right. Sure, they right. Have, it made me wonder, does the prime minister have an Excalibur reappear contingency plan? <laughs> <laughs> And one of these Osiris guys, he says, word of this cannot be allowed out. But they were club members, this one guy says. his weird... This is Sir Albert. And they're like, and very grateful we have been for their good service these last few years. And yours, Sir Albert. And he's like, I've been a member of this club 20 years. And Lord Hamilton for 25. And Lord Radford, 29. But we seven are the original members. And we get this flashback. To September 2nd, 1866, the spirit Larzad appeared to us, blessed us, telling us that we would live to see the last days of man and that we should watch for the coming of a king. And so there's a little footnote here. It says that this is the same spirit that inspired Eugene Remy to found the Helioptic Brotherhood of Ra in 1729. So, so what I learned from this, and I guess this is just kind of like a weird detail nerd thing, the Osiris guys are kind of a spinoff of the Heliopic Brotherhood. Because remember, we learned in yeah. the Witchfinder, yeah. we learned in the Witchfinder series that the Helioptic Brotherhood, they were all... They had been visited by Larzad, who gave them this message. But then I guess Larzad appeared again to these other seven a couple years later and gave them this message that they would be there too. And that they would see this king refuse the crown, but his soldiers would know him. And in the end, he would lead them into the last battle. And there he would be killed, and we seven shall be there to cut off his right hand. So that's their mission, is that they're going to get the hand at the last moment. I like how you call over 100 years a couple of years. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, if you're talking about beginning of the world, well, Audre, I mean, Jahan, uh, oh, yeah, Audre Jahad timeline. In the cosmic sense of things, it really is. <laughs> As we were seven in the beginning, so we should be seven in the end. For that battle and that king are upon us. And they shoot this guy, Sir Albert. We get this kind of... We uh, see these ruins where they led Hellboy to in part one. I guess that's their little hideout is under there. Elsewhere in Jutland, I imagine, we go through this dark cavern and we hear tinging, getting louder and louder. And we see a king dead. Next to him, a blade that was fashioned from the crown that that ambassador originally brought Nimu. The blacksmith, surrounded by gold coins and other treasures, cries and hammers out Nimu's goddess war crown. The end. That is a pretty fucking sick looking Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. And this whole reveal at the end is just really cool. Like, you know, he did it. He did he all that. He did the thing that she told him to right. do. Right. Well, she made him look at her. So I wonder if, like, that no, did something. No, or I think just... he was just so fucking afraid that if he did not do exactly right. what yeah. she said, that something very fucking bad was going to happen to him. Yeah. Yeah. And this war crown is really amazing. Yeah, that panel of him crying as he's forging this yeah. three ravens in the battle helmet with all the 
the wings and the ah, oh, it's so fucking cool. And and the uh, the script carved on it. I'm assuming is the names that she wanted. Sure, it's incredible. Oh yeah, you're right. It's a fantastic design. So don't look at the sketchbook just yet, Aubrey and Danielle, because there are some spoilers for the next Hellboy story. But for this part of the story, there are some great sketches of Eligos, Duke of Hell, who guarded the bridge to Morgan Le Fay's castle. You're going to put those on the social media. Yeah, and it's cool. There's some notes between Mignola and Figredo, because Mignola's like, I don't think the design's there yet, Duncan, this and that. And then Figredo, in his notes, he's like, ultimately, I wish I'd kept closer to Mike's designs. So they're both kind of... (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I think uh, Figredo does an awesome job with the design of this guy. He says, I'm not sure where the exhaust on his back came from. I suspect that was an Art Deco service detail I was playing with. (laughs) It reminded me a little of a 1950s locomotive or something. Oh, yeah. Um, It's a good uh, concept for a uh, a, a monster. Yeah. Yeah. And... um, I have to say, I have been enjoying, um, I really enjoy the Fergredo artwork on these last uh, couple of Hellboy stories. Yeah. Uh, this one in um, Darkness Calls. Darkness Calls. Oh. Yeah. It, it's been superb. <laughs> Another thing about that that guy, sorry. Another thing about that guy the with the- Illegos. Yeah, the smoke chimneys coming out of his back or whatever, like the, um, like he's a, like he's a furnace or something. Yeah. I guess his whole design is very like mechanical- you know, smoke and pollution and fire and oh yeah, you know, and that's kind of a good uh, instead instead of being like an organic kind of, he's right. just all metal and there's no you know anyway I don't know I like yeah um, Fergredo says he became a literal engine of war yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's kind of what you're saying well that's, yeah. I guess, leave it to the artist to best <laughs> be able to articulate the design but yeah and then that little guy that carved the the, that made the war crown. Figredo says, for some reason, this little guy was tough to nail. He only appears relatively briefly, but he had a big part to play in the events that followed. So not only did he have to avoid looking like a dodgy fantasy reject, but he had to feel established, part of the extended world quickly. Not that I'm saying it didn't turn out that way. The design on the crown also had to be readable for you to be able to make the connection when you saw it again on the bloody dagger blade. And Mignola said, originally there was going to be a longer scene with this guy at the end of the wild hunt. After forging the bird helmet, he was going to be so overcome with grief over murdering his king that he was either going to hang himself or throw himself into the furnace. Fortunately, there really wasn't room for that. And I'd ended darkness calls with a little guy stabbing himself. So I decided to let him live. I assume he's now wandering endless subterranean passages, the doomed last survivor of his kind. Pretty grim, but it turned out to be that kind of story. And um, yeah, so I guess also in terms of the movie, like, you know, um, it's taking a lot of inspirations from this. So I'm, we, we see Hellboy with a with a big sword in the banner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and so is that Excalibur. And, you know, we, see, we know that Grogok's in the movie and the Blood Queen. So... I'm really excited to see what they're going to do with all that. And what did you guys think about this whole, I guess we already talked about it too, but the whole King Arthur, Excalibur, kind of winding all this stuff together. It was amazing because like, like I said, like last week when I got, um, after we finished recording last week, I went home and, re- and read the next chapter. And then as soon as I was done, I was like, I got to start from the beginning. And then I reread <laughs> the whole thing from, from one to right. And it was just like, when I was, you know, it was like, I really didn't see this coming yeah um, but um i've always kind of been a fan of like arthurian legend so yeah. 
it, I mean, even though there's so much bad Arthurian legend stories out there, <laughs> there really is. There's, there's, there's more bad than good. But, um, but seeing this, it was, it was nice. It was refreshing. It was kind of like, okay, I could right. really, I could buy that Hellboy is a descendant of right. King Arthur. Right. Yeah. Why not? Love it. Wasn't there a, a point in time where we were talking about playlists and shit? Yeah. About who would listen to what? Yeah. I I don't know who would. I don't think anyone in the story would listen to this but all i can think of right now is <laughs> that song the song uh excalibur from uh who did that it was blind guardian and iced earth i think oh okay it's the like band a... blind guardian and then also featuring another band ice earth it is a song called it's, excalibur. A death, it's like black metal it's a, or something it's, i don't know what sub genre of whatever it's like a power metal i don't know what okay. it is but it's uh those good old scandinavian metal yeah, heads they sure. love to whatever i don't actually know where they're from but it's, how it's does it go excalibur sword of the king it's a very nice. like yeah That's awesome it's very uh I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a little clip of that in here you better That'd be great <laughs> and um you better not no i want to now it's gonna be awesome oh, no. i want to i also want to hear that song and it's this- ridiculous. They released a new version of The Wild Hunt, another collected version of it, oh, I guess, wow. in preparation for the movie. Uh, it's got like a sticker on the front that says, now, you know, sure, adapted sure, yeah. into whatever. Oh, that's funny because that's how my seat of destruction is. It says, oh, really? <laughs> now a major motion picture. There's a new uh, little excerpt by Mignola that Jerry Turnbull sent me for in the listener feedback. I wanted to read it. It was pretty good. Jerry Turnbull. It says, as I write this, the filming is all done. The editor is banging away at it, and the special effects guys are working their magic. I haven't seen any actual footage, but I did spend some time on set. On a freezing cold night in England, I watched the Garagok rampage oh. through a Gothic cathedral, and on a sunny morning in Bulgaria, I watched Hellboy and the Wild Hunt ride out on horseback to look for giants. A few days later, I actually got to wear the Wild Hunt armor myself, complete with giant deer head. <laughs> and while posing for a picture, I managed to get my antlers tangled in some tree branches. <laughs> but that's life, I guess. One day you're sitting by yourself in your studio making up a story that you hope someday somebody will read. And the next you're trying to wrestle your deer head out of a tree. <laughs> there you go, Mike Mignola. There you go. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so Jerry was saying that he might have a cameo in the movie. Oh, you think? Well, because he's saying there that he's wearing the deer head. Oh, well, I thought that but, it was just for like a picture, like, "Hey, like here I am on the shoot. set of my oh, movie." Yeah. Like, um, yeah. I wonder if he would be one of the Wild Hunt guys. Oh, that would be, be really great. cool. That'd be cool. Yeah. That'd be awesome. I hope so. Look, I, <laughs> I am inspired as well to draw a little scene of Gragok. He's coming over and i'm just gonna put him on my couch with lots of blankets and feed him some soup (laughs) give him some delicious soup and we're gonna watch some nice shows and we're gonna just hang out and just give him some cookies and milk feel bad for him feel bad for that little guy He's a bad guy. No. He's a mad at Hellboy for burning him with iron. That's he it. He is yeah, misguided, I mean, and he 
it's you know he just needs a little bit of some anger management tools. Yeah. Well, his anger has consumed him, so you gotta let him get past. He needs I, to get past I that. think he needs. <laughs> I think he needs compassion and understanding, and I want to be his friend, and I feel bad for him. All right. Well, let us know how you would comfort Grogok if you could. And now Aubrey's gonna say all the things. Oh man. Wild Hunt Part 2. That was such an amazing story. Send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And the Discord link is on our Facebook page. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts from. Uh, next week, we're checking back in with our friends at the BPRD and to see how they're dealing with King of Fear. So pull out your back issues, your trades, your library editions, your omnibuses, your digitals. Check them out from the library. Borrow them from a friend. Just get them somehow legally. And join us next <laughs> week on the Hellboy Book Club podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle Renee. And I'm Robbie Loveless saying, who's a fool now, jackass? <laughs> <laughs>